Welcome to episode 163 of the uh, Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. Joining me, as usual, is my co-host in life and co-host on the show. She is the Michael Phelps of wine, the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, and the queen of the monsters, ladies and gentlemen, Ashes Von Nightmare. Oh, hey. Yeah, that's super enthusiastic <laughs> after all of that introduction. She demands all these extra nicknames and then just like, yeah, what's up? Like, ugh, it's, uh, it's, it would be nice to, would it kill you to have, show some enthusiasm now and then? Oh, hey. Oh, okay. Thanks. That's much better. <laughs> Take two. Uh, and we are, uh, broadcasting for the first time. But uh, technically the second time. Technically the second, because we, we did some things out of order. But this is the the first time we're using our new setup in the new studio. Uh, so we're in the Pat Cave in Magenta Manor. With uh, producer, writer, uh, jack of all trades, uh, Suzanne De Laurentiis. And uh, Suzanne, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So... What we like to do on the show is we do a little thing that we call getting into character uh, because we are a character-based podcast, and uh, so we want to know a little bit about you. So the first question I have, and uh, this is one that we've been we've been kind of going back and forth on with folks for the last couple of weeks, so I want to know your uh, your thoughts. Do you consider the hot dog to be a sandwich? Okay, I mean that's fair. That's it's it's really an opinion based question. It really depends on your own. Because some people say, "Well, no, because of how you hold it and the bread isn't like whatever." So, Ashes, do you have a question for Suzanne? So I do. Um, so when I was growing up, I had pictures of Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block plastered all over my bedroom walls, and I was wondering if there was anybody plastered on your bedroom walls. When you were younger. Yes, actually, my cousin, Frankie Adelman. Really? Yes, his uh, mother and my father were brother and sister, and I grew up with Frankie, you know, going to see Frankie play when I was a kid, and then eventually um, I got into the nightclub business too, and he was my idol growing up. All his huge blanket bingo movies, and, you know, so yeah, he, he's who I had on my now that's that's an interesting uh, family connection. Is that something that most people would know about you, or is that something that you know you uh, you know tend not to discuss much, or it just doesn't come up? just curious you know if this was like a new revelation just for us i was kind of hoping but (laughs) (laughs) so what is oh go ahead um all the dark shadows cast from the game 
Dark Shadows. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So you're, uh, you're, you're hankering for a snack. It's going to be a few hours before you get to eat anything, but you're starving. What do you reach for? That's fair. <laughs> All right, so how about uh, Ashes? You got another one. I do have another one. So I was curious as to what was the first film that you saw that made an impact on you in some way? Any yes. any particular part of that that you were just like okay that right there that's what I that's what I want. Uh, I was gonna say it still is. It's such a beautiful film. It's spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. definitely holds up. Now, the final question for you. And it's, it's kind of a weird one. If you, uh, like, how good are you at bowling? Like, are you a good bowler? I used to be strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, funny story, um, I used to be in a bowling club in North Hollywood, and Chuck Heston, Cheryl Heston, um, I used to play against him on this bowling team all the time. Are you serious? <laughs> Was That's he incredible. any good? Yeah. <laughs> So I, I have to ask a follow up to the the Charlton Heston thing. Did you ever get like a seven ten split, and he acted like he was Moses parting the Red Sea to kind of like psych you out? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, you uh, you made it through the getting into character questions. Those are pretty easy, right? There we go. And see, you never know when you ask someone a random question if they're gonna like that bowling question. It's like we've never asked that of anyone before, and like it seems you were the right person to talk to about that. All right. So we're gonna take a quick break, and when we get. When we come back, we're going to get into our discussion about uh, your upcoming film, Derailed. So we'll be right back. What's up, UFOnauts? It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. In gray we trust. Hello everybody, I am Ocho, and with me is Sean, and together we do the Drunk Discussions podcast, Drunk Discussions, with Sean and Ocho. Sean, where can all these fine people find our podcast? They can find us at a lot of places, like freaking five different places. Five different places at least. Chorus, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Spotify. Spotify. And of course, our home on Podbean, podbean.com slash drunk discussions. You can also just, as we mentioned, we're on four other apps. You can just search for drunk discussions on those apps. If you want to support our show, you can become our patron. Sean, how do they do that? They go to either patreon.com slash drunk discussions or podbean. Patreon.podbean.com slash drunk discussions. You can also buy a shirt at shop.spreadshirt.com slash drunk discussions. Thank you, everybody, for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I hate you, Sean. Go fuck yourself. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, and you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare on Throwdown Thursday Podcast. And we're back, and uh, Suzanne, thanks for sticking around. <laughs> um, so we watched a film the other day, and there was a lot to unpack about this. There's a lot going on in this movie. So, Ashes, I know you have a couple of questions, and I want you to start off. I do. So my first question is, where did the concept for this story come from? That's interesting because, like you were saying, there there is a lot going on with this. So, the question I have for you is, you know, 
if you look at the beginning of the film, the you know the opening, and you know there's a little bit of predictability, like oh, you know, there's it's a murder mystery, but I bet somebody really gets killed. Did you throw in some of these other twists and turns to kind of throw off these these people that are like, oh, I saw that coming a mile away. Yeah. interviews about the movie and you know I think there's a lot to it like you have to see it more than once because um, even like with the CG and the effects they're supposed to look sort of Tim Burton-ish almost cartoon like because none of it is real does that make any sense? yes Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so I know um, some people had sort of criticized me and said oh well the effects look like a cartoon or you know it looks like a Tim Burton kind of cartoon thing you know with the trendy rolls I said no 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 it's supposed to look like that it's, this is a tale of something that doesn't exist these people are ghosts and, and it's so it has like a lot of you know I probably shouldn't give away too much although this isn't going to come out until after it's released so. that's right uh, yeah so it doesn't matter um, so yeah and I think you know even with um, the, the soul shredder creature you know we were saying oh you know it's the sea monster it's you know the creature of the black lagoon and, and I said no it's not that it's he's the soul shredder he comes to try to get you to cross over and you know these, some of these ghosts just don't want to go so. yeah because when I when I first was watching it I was like Man, there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of like different plot points, and it's like I started thinking about it, especially the way um, Abigail acts towards the beginning of the uh, the finale of the film. You know, when she's like, "We just need to let go." Yes. Like, right. yes, and most people don't get that. Yes. As you're as you're slowly because. You know, if you, when you think back and you 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 know, like you were saying, like rewatching it, I haven't. You know, we've we've been so busy, we haven't had a chance to get to see it a second time. But I've just been playing some of these scenes over and over in my head because I formulated this theory. I'm like, okay, they can't rest because essentially, what was you know the the vessel of their death was is a museum. All their possessions weren't returned to them. Like they're just sitting there. And so they have to keep going through this over and over and over. And so that explains why they act, you know, it's like, oh, this, this monster has me. But, you know, um, oh, what is her name? The, um, I have to look at my notes. Yeah, Antonia. Oh, Antonia. Yes, yes. When she, you know, she's kind of just sitting there and she's, you know, she tells Abigail to go. And then, because it's like, oh. Aren't you being grabbed by this thing? But it's like, no, once she stops resisting, it's right. you're just taken away. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's right on the money. And I think, that, like I said, if you don't, you know, most people that see the movie a second time come back to me and say, oh, now I get it. You, you know, like kind of the first time I think is, you know, there's just so much going on. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. But um, one of the things that was really interesting for me working on this film is that we actually shot, we went to a train museum, it's called Travel Town over here in uh, Burbank, California, and we shot in a train from the early 1900s. Um, it was literally, they were just getting ready to rent, renovate it, 
and we had to complete the art director hole inside. But that was a train from like 1908. That box car. Yeah, because it, it looked very authentic inside. Mm. Like that was the thing. There was a lot of authenticity to it. Yeah, um, and there was no air conditioning in it. Oh my oh. god! <laughs> well, that's authentic. Yes. If you're going to be doing like a period piece, like you have to, you know, like sorry, you can't have any of, uh, you know. There was no bottled water at that time. Go drink from the pond. <laughs> right, right. And I'll tell you, that shoot was such a challenge. We shot that in 12 days. Six days was in L.A., and then we had a huge company move to Philadelphia, and that's where we shot the second half of the film, and they built the set there, and that's where we did the second half of the movie in Philadelphia. So it was quite a... That movie was a beast, I can tell you. Oof. Yeah, it was a beast. <laughs> So, going back to the Soul Shredder for a moment, uh, what was the inspiration behind the creature design? Um, you know, I, I'm a huge, huge Hammer House horror fan, mm -hmm. so I wanted to do something that was, you know, kind of along the lines of, of a Hammer House film, where it was sort of classy, um, there wasn't a lot of CG, it was mostly practicals, and, you know, I grew up on Creature of the Black Lagoon, mm -hmm. in the late 60s, I remember seeing that, I was terrified, so, um, when I spoke with Dale, our director, I said, look, you know, let's not do the CG thing, let's, let's do a practical, let's get somebody to design a monster suit, and I sort of, you know, had a vision of, like, kind of alien with, sort of like an alien, you know, versus, like, you know, Creature the Black Lagoon, kind of combination of the two. Yeah, it, gave, it definitely gave me, like, a, a, a lamprey type of, you know, uh, like, with the way the face opened up and, like, the rotating jaws on the inside. That's the, the vibe I got. So that was going to be uh, part of my next question is, you know, with a smaller uh, a smaller budget film, it seems that you know one of the biggest things people are looking for in these types of horror films is you know the atmosphere and you know if there's a creature you know what the creature looks like and I think in this case going with a practical effect I think the creature effects and the way that this thing looked that's probably my favorite part of the film and you oh, could you. you can definitely see that like a lot of time and effort and care was put in to this uh, this creature and you know I just wanted to say that you know not only was the design really good but the uh, the actor um, oh I just saw him I just had it uh, Phil Phil Young uh, did a great job because you know as an actor you know when you're on screen you know your face is your money maker you know you can emote and do all these different things but the way he was um, he was definitely conveying his uh, his his ferocity, and even like the scene with Abigail, where she opens the door and the creature's kind of just like crouched there, sitting. That definitely gave me some you know Alien nineteen seventy nine vibes, where you just yeah. see like the thing rear up to its full height, and it's just like you know you're done. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. I give Phil such praise. Um, that suit was brutal to wear, number one. And number two, in all the water stuff, I mean, there were times where I was really on edge because the water was pouring into the mouth and he couldn't breathe. Like, his mouth was filling up with water, and um, it, 
it was, believe me, that suit, I, I don't know how he did it, between the heat and just the conditions and being in water in that suit for long periods of time, he was totally a champ. See, so there are many great characters in this film, and I was wondering if you had a favorite. Well, obviously, you know, I wrote, came up with the concept with Dale and Everett, but I have to say probably one of my favorite characters was the host, the guy in the beginning who introduces the game. And um, I was so, like, meticulous on trying to figure out, you know, who I could put in that role, you know, who we could afford, how it would work. And that gentleman's name is Frank Lamers. He's an A-list Dutch actor from Holland. And I saw him in a foreign film called The Admiral um, a couple years ago, and I was just blown away and so impressed by his performance. And I thought, wow, you know, someday I'm going to bring him to the U.S. and put him in one of my movies. <laughs> and I, I was able to contact him and send him the script, and he said, yeah, sure, I'll come. And that was the first movie he had done in the U.S. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, now really amazing actor. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, writing the characters and getting you know inspiration for these characters, now do you find it easier to you know when you have a character like okay this is who I've got this is I know who this person is let me find the actor who can portray them or do you find it easier to sort of like all right this is who I think will be good but I can kind of tailor the way this person is based on their performance, I can kind of tailor the character a little bit to sort of fit the narrative a little bit and, you know, really accentuate the strengths of this actor's performance. You know, that's an interesting question. I think sometimes it's kind of a combination of both. Um, you know, somebody will come in, you know, you have this vision of, of the character and who they are and how you want them to be and someone will come in and audition and you'll say, oh my gosh, that, that you know, that's our Evelyn or... Um, you know, that's our, um, our whole, you know, just sort of clicks with you. Um, and then sometimes you just totally have this vision in your head of what you want, and you know the second somebody walks in the door that that's, that's the person you want. So it's a little bit of both, I think. So on that, um, tell me a little bit of how uh, Shay Smolik as uh, Abby. I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, Shay, she was amazing. Our director, um, Dale, saw her in a movie called The Sandman, and she was also in a couple of um, hit TV shows, and he was the one that came to me and said, hey, there's this young gal named Shay. I think she would be amazing. See if, you know, see if we can contact her, see if we can get her. And, um, you know, I was able to contact her. And, you know, oddly enough with Derailed, when, you know, we told people it was sort of like a horror film, kind of ghost story, you know, you know, everybody's always apprehensive about this kind of movies, but as soon as I sent people the script, they were, oh my gosh, you know, I love this, yeah, 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 I'll do it, so. See, that's, that's always one of the interesting things, too, is like, you know, do you have people seeking you out, are you seeking certain people, like, are there certain, uh, certain folks that you work with, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera, because um, you see that a lot with, uh, you know, Somebody like uh, David O. Russell, you know, works with pretty much the same cast. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I've done quite a few movies with Dale Favregar as the director and Everett um, Wallen, who um, was also the star. I've done a couple of movies with him. Um, I, do, I do tend to work with sort of the same group of people, but, you know, the great thing about Derailed is that it had such a huge cast. There were so many characters in it, so um, it was really fun to be able to bring some new people into our circle. 
tell me a little bit about uh, how you got um, Lance Henriksen to join in, and like, because he, you know, he just had a small part, but it was very impactful. Yeah, you know, same thing. I contacted his manager, and you know, I'm sure the guy gets you know a hundred horror films a week sent yeah. to him. And I said, oh, but you know, ours is really different. It's it's not a slasher movie. It's not a sci-fi. It's just something interesting and different. And it was the same thing. I, I sent him a script, and they called me back literally the next day and said, oh no, he really wants to do it. And um, there's a whole behind the scenes thing for Derail too. It's it's up on YouTube. And you can see his interview. He was like, this was just so interesting. I, I, you know, I really wanted to be a part of it. And he was a big supporter of veterans, too. So he was really happy to work on a project that benefited vets. See, that's, that's something that, you know, I think a lot of folks don't really realize. That, you know, you're not just making a film to make a film. You're not just, like, putting something out there. You know, there's a method to the madness, so to speak. You know, like, in your case, you know, it's... There are a lot of different, um, you know, charitable organizations that, you know, look to reach out and help veterans. But this is probably the most unique experience I think a lot of these these folks will get. Because usually it's, you know, uh, they try to, you know, uh, pair them up with dogs or, you know. Yes. <laughs> like the canines for warriors. Yeah. No, the people that participate in our Operation Hollywood are just, I can't say enough. They're, in fact, I was so blessed um, almost 10 years ago, I was presented with a civilian medal from the military for that program. Um, so they're so thrilled and appreciative to come and work on a movie. And let me tell you, veterans and ex-military people make the best crew people. They are amazing. <laughs> really amazing. So wearing the producer hat... Does it make writing the scripts for films easier because you are aware of the budget and know what can be accomplished financially? Oh, 100%. I can tell you the budget for Derailed, oddly enough, even though it was a big show and it was shot in two locations, it was very, very low budget, like very well, well below 500000 It was a teeny tiny budget, and I can tell you that was another thing that kind of spooked Everett and Dale in the beginning. They were like, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to pull this off for this amount of money? And of course, my response was, you just leave that to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I really had to think out of the box um, on this one. But, you know, that's one of the great challenges about being an independent producer. Yeah, and, it, you know, that's definitely something that would be difficult to do. Like you said, there's a big cast. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Like, you know, there's... Um, you know, the, the on-site, um, you know, like the, the filming inside the train station, inside the train, you know, having like all these practical sets, uh, practical special effects, you know, there's a lot to this and it's, you know, it's a lot more difficult to get all this stuff. And I'm a big proponent of independent films. Anyone who's listened to the podcast or read any of my articles is aware of this, um, and I think that, you know, one of the biggest things that independent films have to offer is the fact that because you're working on a lower budget, it's a lot harder to get your film made. Like, you have to hit your marks. You have to, you know, make sure that you're you're getting your right lighting because you don't have a lot of chances. You know, you can't just say, oh, well, we messed up. We'll get it again tomorrow. You have a strict schedule. Like you were saying, you know. Filming half the movie in in L.A. and half the movie in Philadelphia, 
does not leave you a lot of room for, you know, making mistakes and having to recover for that. So if you miss, you know, you miss a mark or you flub a line, that's really going to you know, uh, cause a lot more problems than it would for like a hundred million dollar picture. Oh, no, for sure. And believe me, um, you know, I've done much bigger films at my company. And whenever there was an issue, you just throw money at it. Um, but with these smaller ones, you know, and believe me, we, we had our share of issues um, on derailed. It certainly wasn't smooth sailing by any means. The whole thing, first of all, was shot at night. They were all nights. And we had these humongous lighting setups, huge, huge lighting setups. Um, and uh, when they went to Philadelphia, I think there was like two nights of pouring rain and it was super hot and there was mosquitoes and um, it was, believe me, it was definitely, definitely a challenge. But um, I'm really, really happy with the outcome. Another thing to me that, um, you know, independent films offer, see, people keep complaining, I mean, I am one of them, that there's very little originality left out in Hollywood. You know, I mean, you know, all the movies that people are talking about lately, The Lion King, The Little Mermaid, Mulan, you know, Beauty and the Beast. I've already seen those. I saw them 20 years ago. I want something fresh. So something like your film, that's something that's new. It's different. And I, but I just, I don't think enough people give independent films a chance. So if you were to say something to those people, uh, what would you like to say? Um, I think just what you said, that it's something different. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you noticed in the movie, but there is no nudity and there is not one swear word. So anybody can watch it. Um, oddly enough, we've been really fortunate on the film festival circuit. We've been winning a lot of awards. And when we go to these festivals, we're, you know, we're really shocked that the, the screenings are sold out. They are completely full, and then afterwards, you know, the people that go to the uh, saw the movie, the screening would say, you know, it was just something different. And I think, um, I think that's one of the reasons why it's doing so well in the film festival circuit because it's it's just something different, which is what we try to do. Well, it's 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 weird. Like we were discussing, you know, bits and pieces of the plot earlier, you know, and like you're saying, like a lot of folks have to see it a second time. And I think because it's packed, there's so much stuff in it. There's so much in it that, you know, someone like like myself, I watch it and I was like, I am not sure if I like this film. Let me think about it. Let me, like, let it marinate in my head. Let me let me think about some of these scenes that I saw, you know, because it's like, it's like, okay, it's a, it's a murder mystery. I get that. Then, you know, the train goes off and it's like, all right, now we have to get to land. But what is this? What just happened? Then the end of the movie happens. You're like, wait a minute. So you have to kind of put all these things together. You know, because right. it's like... Yeah, no, you're right. It's funny because I had a couple of critics that were, you know, kind of beat me up. And they were saying, oh, you know, this is an sea monster movie. And I'm like, no, it, you, it's not a sea monster movie. You, you have to, you know, you have to see it a second time. There's a whole bunch of different things in there that, you know, that sort of make it a little twisty and turny and a little different and, and you know not everybody's willing to sort of you know kind of have that psyche when they're watching it they just watch it and go oh well the effects look cartoonish or oh you know it's just on that monster thing and I'm like no it's supposed there's a whole imagery thing it's not real it's supposed to be a ghost story it's a tale it's a, a ghost tale and uh, 
you know, like I said, I think you have to see it twice. Oh, I completely agree with you. We watched it a few days ago, and we have discussed this film every single day since we watched it. Like, it's a it's a conversation starter, because what someone sees from their perspective is not exactly what someone else is going to see from their perspective, because this movie offers so much. And having a conversation about it, we were able to put things together and, you know, appreciate certain scenes and certain... Um, you know, uh, uh, certain parts of the storyline more. Right. You know, it's interesting you say that too, because when we, we had a big, um, screening here in downtown LA, it was standing room only. I think there was like 400 people there. And oddly enough, there were a lot of older people there, people like in their 50s and 60s, you know, in my age range. And they really, really appreciated it. You know, a lot of them were old time filmmakers and they said, you know, it was just, it was just a breath of fresh air for us because, again, it wasn't two teens having sex in the woods and being chased around with an axe. You know, it, it, it was something different. So. Right, and it's 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 unfortunate that I would I would say a lot of the folks who don't you know say say someone watched this and if I was a person who watched it with a less critical eye when it comes to films because I I'm no expert. I'm not a film critic, you know, I'm just some jerk that likes movies. But when I watch stuff, it's like, okay, let me try and, like, think of, like, what what is this imagery? What is this symbolism? How does this fit in the story? What, you know, the lines that, you know, someone said earlier, you know, are we going to hear this again later on? Is this going to be important to the plot? Like, the whole locket. Like, that was a really great scene at the end. It's like, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? It's like, well, whenever I thought I couldn't make it, I'd look at this, and I know that I could, you know? And then you find out what's inside the locket at the end, and it's like, that's really good. Like, you're planting these seeds along the way, and then when you take a step back and look at the entire narrative, the entire story, you understand. It's like, okay, now I get what they're saying. Let me watch this a second time with this fresh new vision and this fresh new understanding of what's going on. But there's so many people that are just like, it wasn't entertaining, there weren't enough explosions, there weren't enough boobs, and I didn't like it. Yeah, no, that's exactly what some of the critics said. And I was just like, it's not not that kind of movie. Yeah, not everything needs to club you over the head. Like, you can have some subtlety. Right, right. Yeah, and even, you know, even just the fact that you got that about, you know, one of the reasons why Evelyn um, doesn't want to cross over is because she wants her locket, you know, and her locket is in the museum. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, there's different things of what, you know, those are some of the people's items that after the train crashes, they didn't get. They ended up in a museum. So, you know, they, they want their things. You know, there's all there's all different, you know, sort of um, reasons why the people on the train don't want to cross over, why they keep coming back. Yeah, and it's you, you, you kind of get this sense at the beginning when, you know, you see, <clears throat> you know, the, the three younger kids and, like, everybody's getting ready to get on the train and... You know, you kind of see that interaction as they walk up in, like, that cloud of smoke, that very ephemeral, like, ethereal, you know, uh, opening shot. 
and Evelyn's just kind of looking at that one young girl and she's looking back and like the girl just looks at her and just thinks like something's not right and they have a little bit of a conversation but she can tell that something is off even Evelyn is having that same like why is this like this and the one of the great subterfuges that you you guys have in this film is the fact that it's supposed to be, you know, like, oh, this is an original train car from 1908, so everybody's dressed like they're from 1908 because, you know, or 1921, uh, because that's that's what, that's when they're from. They're not dressing up to fit into the time period. They're just wearing their normal clothes. Right, right, yeah. And, like... Yeah, I mean, you even have when she's running through the woods, you even have the little the sign that says 1921. And then, right. you know, there's not this. See, people tend to like to have everything fed to them through some sort of exposition dump. And there's a little bit of that, but it's, you know, with, with uh, Lance Henriksen at the end, but it's more like. Let me kind of give you a context of what you just saw, so you can sort of under... But it's still not, you know, like, oh, there was a monster in the lake, and, you know, he was bringing people, you know, to cross over. Like, he, you know, he doesn't know that. He's He can only talk about the bits and pieces that he knows from the story, but we see so much more. It's like, oh, nobody knows why the train went off the tracks. We have no idea. You know, no bodies were found, and this didn't happen, and that didn't happen. Right. And his face, when he's like, Evelyn Hyde? Like, are you sure? Like, is this... There was a... It was a very Kubrickian shining moment at the end in the train there. I really liked that. See, I like stuff like that when there's, like, little nods to things. You know, like the alien reference we were talking about earlier. Um, You know, when you, you were saying that you were very much inspired by the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like... You can see that. Um, and it's just, it's really nice when you're able to see a filmmaker put so much of themselves. And, you know, I say this a lot about independent films. There's much more heart and authenticity in something where, it's like, this is my brainchild. This is my idea, baby. And I want to make this as close to my vision as I possibly can. And I would imagine as producer and writer, like, you get more opportunity to do that on these smaller films. Oh, yeah, very much so. And, you know, again, you know, I've got a great team around me. Um, John Lazar, who was our DP that did the writing, I was just thrilled with. Because, you know, I, I told him, I said, we have to come up with something that looks like this is the most cartoonish looking. Do you know what I mean? I kind of, I, I don't know, so, so that it looks like it's not really real. Because if, if we made it look super real, then I just feel like the audience wouldn't buy it. Right. Know, just like a murder mystery train movie and like all the other subtleties just wouldn't be there. Right, and I think that's like one of the better touches that you have in the film is, you know, I keep saying you because we're talking to you, but obviously I know that the, the whole team of people, uh, you know, it's like the royal you. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's... You know, a lot of, of stuff. Now, when you cast some of these folks, you know, and you you 
went through the entire process, you know, were you surprised by anybody take, you know, sort of taking the reins of the character and like really sort of deviating from what you had as a vision, but like you're like, you know what? They really took this character in a direction I hadn't thought of and I kind of like where it went cuz I didn't think of that. Yeah, he had that almost casual, sinister demeanor that you you see a lot in, say, like, you know, gangster movies. And yeah. Yeah. considering the time period, yeah. that would make sense. You know, he's not, you know, this macho, tough guy that, you know, you know, like Stallone or Schwarzenegger or somebody like that. He's, you know, like a... a low-level mafia guy who's trying to make a name for himself and impress, you know, his his Don or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought he brought something really, really interesting to the character. Yeah, I really enjoyed his, uh, his character. Mm. Ash, do you have, uh, anything else? Um, I think that's, uh, pretty much all we have for questions. Now, um, what other projects have you got going on that you, you can talk about? Maybe give us a hint or preview. looking to find your films or to you know contact with you uh where do you like folks to you know to reach out to you or you know where can they find your films cool so everything's like just one place you can get everything one-stop shopping We'd love to chat with yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, I will hook you guys up. Yeah, he would just be thrilled to, to be on and talk with you about the We love talking with independent filmmakers because, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out of, out of podcast mode for a minute and be like kind of like a fan. Um, we love 
especially me, I love those low-budget shark movies. Like, that's my thing. I love sharks. You know, so I will defend up and down any any uh, low-budget movie like this because it's, you know, people assume that low-budget means bad or sloppily produced because it's like, oh, well, they shot this in two weeks. It's like, right, their budget isn't $100 million. I use this, the movie Geostorm as an example. I'm like, that's an asylum film with a $100 million budget. You know, if it, yeah, I mean, really, like, if it wasn't Gerard Butler and Ed Harris and Jim Sturgis and folks like that, like, this is this is an asylum film. It's it's a satellite that shoots missiles into the into the atmosphere to control weather. Like, it's totally scientifically inaccurate, but it had a huge budget, so it's plastered everywhere. You know, it's there's no doubt that it's going to have a huge wide release at thousands of theaters. It's, you know, they've already got the DVDs and Blu-rays made, so that's more of a challenge, you know, for a lower-budget film, you know, especially, uh, you know, if somebody is self-financing. It's like, well, I wrote this and directed it, and I starred in it, and, you know, I did all the CGI rendering, and I sewed the costume. Like, it's crazy to think, like, you know, some of these lower budget films, you know, in a lot of them don't need a whole lot. Like, you know, Derailed really has two sets. You know, when, when you think about it, two sets, it's the train car and that weird house factory fishing shack. Yeah, that was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's it, but you do so much with it. You know, you don't need you know, tons of, like, oh, well, you know, we're out in space, but, you know, now we're not in space, now we're on a different planet, now we're underwater. Like, you don't need all that to tell a good story. Like you said, you don't need nudity and, and you know, graphic language to tell a good story. You can do it without all that. Yeah, 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 no, and, and you know, that's what we did. So, um, you know, hopefully other people will enjoy it as much as you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I will say that when we... When we first heard about Derailed, we were very eager to check it out, and the film definitely did not disappoint. We had a lot of fun with it, and can't wait to to purchase it on on Blu-ray and uh, watch it again. Add it to our collection. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be out on August sixth. Cool, cool, very cool. Awesome. Thank you for having me on the show, and I will connect you with Dale. He would just be thrilled to be on. Absolutely, it would be. A, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, have a great night. Bye. Our guest this evening is the director, writer, and editor of the recently released film Derailed, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dale Fabergier. I really hope I pronounced that right. It was close. See, uh, I yeah, usually everyone. ask. Uh, it's all right. Uh, it's Fabergar. Just the way it's spelled. Damn it. easier than people think. Go for it. Take two. All right. Dale <laughs> Fabergar. Sorry. See, I there usually it. ask it. See? prior 
and I didn't. I do that every single time, even on like easy names. It's like, all right, I'm not sure how to <laughs> pronounce this. Is it Dale? <laughs> yeah, you know, no problem. That's right. I, I like hearing everyone's sort of interpretation of the name. Some people think it's French, you know, and uh, that's what I was going with. Yeah, no, it's not. It's actually Portuguese, oh. apparently. So, well, we want to thank you for uh, joining us. Um, as you know, we, we recently, uh, interviewed Suzanne De Laurentiis, who is also going to be a part of this episode. And, um, you guys collaborated together on this film derailed, but before we get into that, uh, we have a little tradition that we like to do with first time guests where we call it getting into character. And what we like to do is ask you a series of random questions, usually about five questions, um, not specific to, uh, what you're on the show for, but just so that we can get to know you and you can get to know a little bit about us and the folks at home can get to know you. So are you ready for your getting into character question? Uh, okay. Okay. Let's give it a shot. All right. Ashes, you can go first this time. Okay. So being a director, I was curious if there is a director out there whose work you admire. Oh, uh, that's an easy one, but it's also hard. You know, uh, there are just so many, directors out there and oh, so many influences. Oh man, I'm trying to think if there's one. Ugh. Well, you know, I mean, I growing up as a kid, I didn't go to the movie theater. You know, I grew up in a rather conservative household. So I grew up a lot on television. So I watch as much Twilight Zones as I can and Alfred Hitchcock presents and as I was just a TV kid, and um, and so I would have to say early on, Hitchcock really influenced me quite a bit um, at a young age. And then we took these movie tours to Universal Studios, and that's when he still had a bungalow over there. And it was just, I would say that he, I, I would be missed if I didn't mention him as a primary influence on sort of where my darkness kind of came from and my you know intrigue and sort of where i lean <laughs> uh i i really think hitchcock if i can mention a few others i love pt anderson the coen brothers david fincher all the, the scotty brothers you know tony and ridley uh tarantino and guillermo del toro just name a few that's yeah. a handful it's all it's always I, tough I, to yeah to boil it down yeah how do you do that you know i, I can't it depends on what kind of a movie and, and what kind of day I'm in. But yeah, I mean, he really, you know, uh, made a difference for me. And as I was growing up, I didn't even take um, film. I didn't go to film school either. Um, and so I just watched as many of those films and all of my friends knew I was really into film at the same time, was studying design. And Hitchcock himself was a designer as well as, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ridley Scott. And all that. So that was sort of that, I had that connection uh, with that visual background and, and my friends would buy me books and, you know, on Hitchcock and Truffaut. And <laughs> I just really, you know, it's really got into his work, those classics, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's really where I, I would say a lot of my influence came from slow boilers. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's kind of how Tarantino got started, too. He worked in a video store and just watched films all day. And 
Yes, I know. I heard his story uh, way back when he started, and I was just, yes, man, he did it. You know, and he was his memory, his mind. He's such a gifted filmmaker, and his voice. You know, just to see all of those films and the way he can just bring all of those influences and be so unique in what he does. It's like, uh, it's really cool. But yeah, there's a lot of people that are, are not, um, you know, officially graduated film folks. You know, I mean, if I could have gone to film school, I would have loved to, that would have been fantastic, but that wasn't really my journey. And I did everything I could to help other people on their films to get that experience. And I think it was a, it was a different journey for me, but, um, it was definitely one, that um, you know, I still cherish. I, I, I did a different uh, track to film, and it just worked for me. All right. So, my question for you is: Yeah, what is a film, in your opinion, that gets unjustified criticism? Uh, that's a great question. Oh man! It could even be something I- recent. I can think of um, I can think of films that actually justify criticism. Probably <laughs> um, fair. Uh, okay, let me think. Just recently, I you know <clears throat> was talking to some horror fans because we did a lot of horror um, conventions and and uh, film festivals and things like that. And it's always great meeting other filmmakers, and we would talk about films and movies and. And there was a film that I watched, and I thought it was, I don't know, maybe we could talk about this. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but, you know, I thought Hereditary was great. I really was taken by it, and a lot, I just felt, I just heard quite the opposite. And, uh, I don't know, uh, I just I just didn't get it, uh, in that a lot of people were not liking it. But I thought that one, you know... Uh, is one that I think gets a lot of, uh, you know, gets bashed a lot. And I don't know why. I mean, uh, when I would talk to those same people, I guess they had different expectations of it or the ending or whatnot. And, and um, yeah, that one, whenever I hear it, it's always so mixed. It's so polar, you know? What did you guys think of that one? Did you guys see that one? That one we haven't seen. Say, we, are, we are bad okay. horror fans. We have but not seen that yet. We did, you are? We did, yeah. we did get out to see Midsummer. So okay, so we've seen. We own Hereditary. It's just on one of those like we have a pile of things we need to watch, and we just yeah. haven't gotten to it yet. Like a lot of times, what we do is if we don't have the chance to go to the theater to see something, but we really want to see it, when it comes out on on disc, we'll pick it up, and so mm-hmm. it's in our house and we have it. And typically, you know, we'll watch it within a couple of weeks of acquiring it. But you know, mm-hmm. having a podcast and being busy people and having a full time job and stuff just just sometimes. Sometimes life does not work out that way. So unfortunately, Hereditary is on the top of our, the second we have free time to sit down and watch a movie, we're going to watch it. But um, yeah, we've heard mixed reviews about it as as well. And a lot of our, our friends and stuff are, are horror fans, like huge horror fans. And they've actually said some really good things about it. So I'm, I'm very eager to to check it out. And especially after seeing Midsummer, which I loved. Yeah. Um I'm very, very eager to check out Hereditary. That's on my list to see next. Um, yeah, it's interesting you decided to just go ahead and jump into Midsummer, you know, on um, the follow-up film. 
from, you know, hereditary, if you will. I'm glad I didn't spoil anything. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite an effective film. And the cast is just, oh, so awesome. It's just, it is one creepy movie. And I think, and it's so stylistically, well, you, you're kind of familiar with that director's work now. There's just his visual style and the way he does things is really, it just, it took me when I saw it and it was really effective. I really, I really enjoyed that for the most part. Absolutely. All right, so that's definitely something that we're gonna yeah, we're gonna have that, to that check just out. Jumped yeah. Way to the top of the list now. I will say <laughs> there's there's been an issue uh, with some of the films that you know we've seen recently where the trailer paints one picture and the film you get uh, isn't quite what the 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 trailer led you to believe. And to me, there are two movies recently that we just watched that are in that vein: and Midsummer and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, they lead you to believe one thing and you're like, okay, I'm going into it thinking about this. And I think, you know, when it's, you know, you, you kind of, you see the film and you get this different interpretation. It's like, well, that's not what I saw in the trailer. I think that's kind of what throws folks off where they're like, mm-hmm. well, I was mm-hmm. expecting this, but I got this. And that's something that, you know, we'll get into when we get into our, our the meat of our discussion, because <laughs> That's something that definitely plays a part in uh, in derailed. So, uh, Ashes, yeah, I was going to say that as you were just mentioning, you had seen a few trailers. I was going to say you might not be talking about something we might be all thinking about right now. But yeah, it's on a different level. Maybe, maybe, yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you had the time to sit down and binge watch any TV show, what would you oh. choose? Oh, that's a Twilight Zone. For me. Yeah. Anytime, you know, what is it? Those Thanksgiving marathons. I, I hope that's not too boring or a fast answer, but man, when those marathons come on, it, once it turns on, I cannot stop. I can't turn it off. I, that is just one classic. It reminds me so much of a time. The stories are so sharp and thought provoking. Um, I just, the black and white, it just, I don't know. It just, I love watching those. And I tried at one point to, to buy all of the, you know, to collect them at one point, and um, I couldn't do it. Uh, and then they came out with, like, a few years later, they came out with this big collection, you know, mm-hmm. the whole entire series season, whatever, and, you know. But, yeah, that's definitely for one. That is probably, you know, there's some recent new ones, but that is, it's never a loser for me. It's never a loser for me. Do you have a favorite episode? Yeah. Um, time enough at last? Oh, Yes! Yes. Right? Oh, not it a was lot of time work, now. Kind of. Yes. Oh, the <laughs> humanity. Meredith. Oh. The, oh, yeah. That's my all time. The most brutal part, though, is when he's like, she's like, oh, why oh. don't you read some of these poems to yes. me? And the whole book is scratched out. It's like, what kind of petty, vindictive bitch do you have to be to go through an entire book of poetry and scribble every single page out? Absolutely. That was so painful. And it just built this, this arc of him finally getting his opportunity to just do what he wants. And then Bemis. Oh yeah. So great. See, I'm, yeah, that's, I'm your favorite. Uh, well, there's so many, I have the beholder. Um, yeah, yeah. which is just phenomenal. Um, to serve man, obviously, Um, that one's just, it just blows you away at the end. 
Pretty much anything that The Simpsons has also parodied, <laughs> like Talking Tina yeah. with Telly Savalas. Yeah. Or, um, oh, the, damn it, I'm trying to think of the one. The one with, uh, little, uh, little Opie when he's got the, the mind powers. Oh, yeah. 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 Which the they did away. in the movie. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And that, that was fantastic. Vic Morrow in there? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was the other one? The one with, um, I always forget the title of it. It's incorrect, but it's the one, uh, uh, the ninth floor, the one with um, uh, the mannequins. That yes. One. Oh, that was so, oh. it had me twisted and it was so mind um, boggling. I was so curious what was going on. A world that was just changing and she couldn't get her head wrapped around it. It was so creepy, but and then at the end, oh, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> oh, what's the other? I know yeah, what you need. Two, my... That one where the, the guy keeps going up to the street vendor and the guy like will hand him things over and over again. And like every time he hands it to him, like he's like, oh, here, here's a pair of scissors. Like, what do I need scissors for? And it's like, oh, yeah. that's what you need. And his scarf gets caught in the bus or whatever. And he cuts his cuts the scarf off before he gets killed. And then, and he just kept going to him and abusing the privilege. And eventually, he gets the uh, guy gives him the shoes. And he says, "Well, what do I, I take these shoes and I and I walk somewhere? What?" And he like he's like, "Oh, these shoes are all slippery." And he gets hit by a car because he couldn't get out of the way. And the uh-huh. vendor's like, "No, those were what I needed." And it's just like this uh, which, harsh line at the end. Which what's the title of that one? Do you recall? It's something like "I know what you need" oh. or something like that. Because okay. that's what he keeps saying over and over again. Right. Right. But I mean, any series yeah. that combines Ray Bradbury and Rod Serling yeah. and, um, oh, I'm totally drawing a blank, uh, Richard Matheson. Yes. Yes. Just, oh, we, we may Absolutely. have to, we may have to have you back to talk about the Twilight Zone before we get, uh, <laughs> before well, we I'm get no. derailed. <laughs> oh, no. I'm no connoisseur, but I have favorites. Now, didn't they also, yes, I believe that Rod introduced, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. That wasn't that a French film. Do you recall that? Do you know that film? That I am unfamiliar with. Oh, okay. I will not uh, look it up. It's or it was something that, and I think it might have been an extra. But he actually introduced it. It was not one that he produced. It's like what we do today. Like Guillermo will say, you know, executive producer, and he'll have another filmmaker do a film, but he's introducing it. He's putting his name on it, and it is that is a. Uh, I remember seeing that film in high school and um, my brighter friend and I were like, Whoa, that blew our minds and that and the lottery. There were these 16 millimeter films that we would watch in class. And I remember seeing that on, um, on Twilight Zone actually afterwards, but that is another one of those sort of, um, it, it really, it's an emotional film and it really takes you. There's not a lot of dialogue, but it's very clear um, and a lot of films have taken their ideas from that, you know, I mean, it was done a long time ago. Everything's been done, but mm-hmm. when you see it, you'll know exactly, you know, what's going on, but it's just one of those that just stuck with me. That, that was actually on Twilight Zone as well. So well, yeah, one, check it out. One last, uh, Rod Serling bit of information before we go into the next question. Um, oh yeah. He was responsible for the ending of the, uh, planet of the apes, 1968. I did not know that. Yeah. Because the way the book ends is very similar to how the uh, Tim Burton, Mark Wahlberg movie ends. Mm-hmm. So it's it's way different. But like, yeah, he's he's responsible. 
I mean, no surprise, but he's responsible for one of the greatest twists in cinematic history. Uh, yeah, that's true. That that totally makes sense now. Like even totally people who don't sense. who've never seen the movie know that line. Yeah. You know? All right, I, think so, I, had a, I had a friend who was in that movie, played the little kid in that movie. I think so. Let me see. I was trying to think. Matheson was he involved in? Um, maybe he wasn't. Um, Trilogy of Terror. Did he do that one? Do you know that one? I know that one. Seventy five. Karen the one Black. with the Zuni doll. Yeah, with Karen Black. I, I think it was Richard Matheson. He may I have. I think it was. I know he did Duel. What dreams may come? Uh, mm-hmm. I am Legend. You know, yes, those are yes. all his. Yeah, that. That one was on television, too. And that's how come I remember that one. And I think that one was probably one of my early straight-out horror as a young kid. I mean, you know, there was always that touch of darkness in, in um, Twilight Zone. But that straight-out, this killer doll thing. Zuni you know, fetish doll. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that scared the poop out of me, man. I was like, Ugh. Oh, I was going to say, you can you can swear on our show. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, I try to keep things professional, but whatever. If yeah, I lose it, I won't. We're having I won't a conversation. It's fine. <laughs> you, know, you know, and uh, Ash has just looked it up, and Matheson did uh, write. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, yeah. I remember seeing that. It was like three stories played by one the same actress, Karen Black. Yep. And, and that one was kind of an interesting idea, too. Um, but yeah. I remember seeing that on television in another anthology and um, that really, uh, you know, when I look at it today and I see the, the doll still scares me. And by the way, I ended up searching for one of those dolls as a collector. You know, I like to collect toys as well. And, uh, oh, yeah. and that, that one I finally got, you know, and uh, it was, I was just, it was such a proud moment for me to have it. And now it's like, do I take it out of its box? <laughs> You, you know, do not want that chain falling out. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, like, no, I'm just going to leave it in here, right? Just leave the chain. You know, and I made sure that the chain was on the doll. Silliness before I got it. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those, like, I know this is fine and it's not going to come alive and haunt me. Right. But just in case, let's, <laughs> exactly. let's not tempt fate. Uh, that yep. would make a hell of a Funko Pop, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you haven't even done that one yet. Um, so let's see, we got another, uh, is there a, uh, is there a film franchise that you like all of, like for you, there's no weak links. You love every single one. You could sit down and watch all of them. You know, it could be a trilogy. It could be, you know, a quadrilogy or, you know, you know, like star Wars have, you know, nine movies, you know, what, you know, it's up to you. All right. I mean, I mean, I enjoy, I gotta say, I enjoy Back to the Future. I can sit and watch those. Yeah, some of the episodes, some of the, some parts are, uh, you know, I just love that first one and how it all ties in together. I thought it was pretty tight, um, and I, I have a hard time turning that off. You know, and then, of course, on the horror spectrum, I, I, I just love the Creep Show. Nice. Um, that whole series of that, and again, anthologies. I just, man. Um, which there's a little bit of an homage in our film, which we can get into. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's that. That's. I hope that answers the question. I, I really enjoyed those. All right. So, 
We've got one more for you. Oh, then, one more. Uh, Let's go for it. Um, see, this is why I asked if you had a time restraint, because some of these questions, you know, we really delve into stuff. Um, okay. You're settling in to watch a movie. What do you got for snacks? What do you got for drinks? Mm. I do a coffee. Okay. And I usually have these guilty pleasure, but I have <laughs> these mango gummies that you can get at the little Trader Joe's. It's a little store here. I don't know if you have it out there where you're at. We do. But it's, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. And I just grab those when I'm at home. I, I don't know, it's fruity. There's just a few of them. And then, you know, the coffee keeps me right in that right mood, um, smiling and uh, paying attention. Those are what it, when I'm in the theater, it's, it's popcorn for sure. Maybe nachos. Nice. But I just, I don't, see, I, I don't like to snack as much of these days as I used to. And, and, uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Coffee for sure. Every time, every, every, every time. That's a hell of a flavor combination. Coffee and mango. That's not one <laughs> yeah. that you see too often. You, know, you don't, you don't, yep. you don't run down to like, Oh, I'm going to go grab that new Ben and Jerry's coffee and mango ice cream. <laughs> Maybe that's one that we should uh, explore. It's definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that's an acquired combination. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I it's funny. I didn't even think about that. I guess I have enough. Um, the coffee kind of neutralizes the sweetness, mm. if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can, it's not even terribly sweet. But yeah, it's a little. Yeah. It's like a flavored, fruity flavor, and then boom, knock it back with a little coffee and take a break between everything and a little water. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's. I mean, yeah. that's. Again, you like what you like, you know. I'm not going to yeah. knock it. You might think that what I would 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 want is weird. So, you know, what do you guys enjoy when you guys sit back and go, "All right, let's pop in Hereditary tonight. What are we going to bust <laughs> up for snacks? What's on your lap?" Well, we've got uh, usually uh, if we're at home and we got nothing to do, you know, I'll have uh, I'll have some sort of rum concoction. Uh, mm. I, I do enjoy my rum. Mm. And I'll probably, uh, I know it depends on what's for sale at the, like the dollar candy store. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, if maybe some dots or runts or, you know, it, <laughs> but again, that's a weird combination too. It's like, Oh, what do you have? Butterfingers and straight black spiced rum. Rum. <laughs> now that might be a better combo than, you know, the coffee and mango gummies that, Butterfinger, like a toffee flavored with rum. Come on, that can't be that bad. It's actually. I think it depends on the rum. If it's like a citrusy, like pineapple rum, nah, not a good call. But a black or amber rum, it could be a little better. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I usually go for a glass of Merlot and a bag of Smart Food. What was that? Smart food? Smart food. Yeah. The white cheddar popcorn. Oh, yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. I see that combo. That's my, that, that's my you know, little wine, little cheese. It's my, that's my yeah. happy place. I was going to guess. Okay. Don't tell me. Wine has got to be one of them for ashes, right? Oh, yeah. And then something else, right? That's her thing. Sometimes it's uh, it's the nice super dark chocolate. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like I like really bold and intense but smooth flavors. So, mm-hmm. which is why she married me. I'm, <laughs> I'm bold and intense, but I'm also smooth. So, nice. as you can tell by that segue there, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, answering the questions. Like you definitely got into a lot of detail, which I'm happy about because uh, sometimes okay, people are like, "What's your favorite movie?" Oh. Uh, Spaceballs. Oh. Any particular reason? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll uh we'll take a quick break. That was fun. And when we come back we'll start talking about uh derailed and some of your other projects that you got going on that I'm actually fairly All interested right. in. Sounds and good. we will be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, Get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. It's back. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con. Terrific Con returns to the Mohegan Sun this August 9th to the 11th. Join us where you see today's top comic book talent all under one giant roof. That's right, Terrificon is the show for you. If you want to see wrestlers, psychics, and snake charmers, then don't come to Terrificon because you won't see any of that there. This is 100% pure Comic-Con action as we show you today's top talent like Tom King, Donnie Gates, Ryan Stegman, and so many more. Plus, Terrificon has built its reputation on the place where you get to meet the legends of comic book history. You'll meet Jim Steranko, Chris Claremont, J. Michael Straczynski, and Jim Starlin, plus making his final Comic-Con appearance, the one and only George Perez. And you'll also meet some stars from superhero movies, like the Batman series. You'll see Val Kilmer, Billy Dee Williams, Robert Wall, and from Torchwood, the one and only John Barryman, the Flash's John Wesley Shipp, and the first First Avenger himself, Red Brown, plus voiceover actors and more. That's all at Terrificon. Connecticut's terrific Comic Con, August 9th to the 11th at the Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut. See more on our website, terrificon.com. And we are back. So, yeah, we we like like we said, we recently spoke with uh, Suzanne, and that interview is going to be part of this episode as well. So, right. <clears throat> tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Derailed, because you are credited as uh, the director, one of the writers, and editor. Uh, and like we said, Suzanne De Laurentiis 
is a writer and producer. So you guys got to kind of collaborate as writers and then it seems like you would really have a lot of uh, say in the direction this film took. So tell us a little bit about how you got into the project. Yeah. Suzanne, a few years back, we had done a film together, which uh, was quite an experience. It was more of an experimental film for me. It was one of the first ones that we got a chance to work together on. She kind of gave me a shot and I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And no one's going to see the film. You know, we thought, let's just have fun with it. And at that point I worked with also Everett Wallen who helped along <clears throat> with me, who also helped write this film derailed. Um, but we decided to just go ahead and do it. And it was, you know, it was sort of this found footage type of film. And, um, you know, we did it and we went, well, that was, uh, you know, that was an experience, I'll just say. And um, we said, well, at least no one's going to see the movie. And then it got picked up. Um, it got picked up, and a lot of people saw the movie. And to this day, it's it's one of those films that, well, you know, we all start someplace. Kind of. <laughs> uh, film, no, you're uh, you're talking about Area Four Hundred Seven. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, it's that's all right. That's been on all my right. Amazon list for a while. Oh. Well, you could push that way back. No, 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 no. You don't. Terry. You don't understand um, how I l- like the type of movies that I like. I saw this right. and it spoke to me, so I put it on my watch list. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, when I did it, you know, I, I said, "Well, you know, at least um, what are the good things about it?" And uh, I said, "Well, I got a good trailer out of it to put on my reel." <laughs> That was a lot of fun to do. It was it was very difficult. We did that film in five days. Wow! Five wow! Days. And you know, Suzanne said, "Hey, you know, we were we were developing a series, and um, and she was really interested in it. And Everett and I were together on that. And um, and she said, "Hey, you know, as we're developing this, because it takes time, as you know, we've got this little film that we'd like to see about." producing would you be interested and i had done a bunch of ton of short films and i thought uh, i'm interested but i mean are you for real and then they pitched me the idea and when they pitched it to me um i said no way that's you know it's about these passengers that um take a flight and this flight crashes in the middle of nowhere and uh things go bad and i was obviously intrigued by the idea but i said how how are we going to do this we have no money we don't have it's well you know the producer says show dale the pictures of the the fuselage because that was the first thing i wanted like where are we going to shoot this you can't do this without an airplane and um they said yeah we'll we'll show you the pictures and uh, the producers at the time showed me photos of this um graveyard in um palmdale in california and there were a series of photos of these fuselages that had been, you know, um, saved um, for scrap. And I said, whoa, that is, that's kind of cool. Are, are you saying that we might be able to rent one of these? And they're like, yeah, which one do you want? Pick which one you want. And I thought, are you, can we afford this? And said, yeah, they're going to work with us. Anyway, long story short, the next day we were there doing a location for a scout all the way to Palmdale. We saw it and we shot the film like, Two weeks later, um, it went so fast. Uh, they would have shot it even sooner, but it was July 4th weekend, so we pushed it. 
but there was, you know, what was really experimental about it was this found footage style. Um, we knew that going in, I knew that it would, there would be these outlines and there would be the script. And I said, well, I'm not doing this without a script, at least. Let's get this idea. And then we did have um, the script that was handed to us. And when we got it, it was, you know, very, 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 very rough. And then so Everett and I had to go, go in there and we worked together with a writer to kind of give it some more beef and put some more points in there and, you know, come up with something that kind of made sense and then um, gave it to the actors. And um, we went out there and shot this thing. It was pretty tough, but um, we, I was also promised it's a creature feature. That was my first one. And the producer said, yeah, you know, just create, um, something for them to look at, you know, just like a tennis ball on a stick. So I said, I don't want them just looking at that in case, you know, we can't replace that. We just built something like a cheesy monster to put on there. And they said, yeah, yeah, we'll do that for you. So they did. And, um, and, uh, we went and shot this thing. Well, I said, well, when do we get to get the real monster, you know, cause in post, you know, we ended up, um, not being able to afford the final monster that I wanted. And, that was really heartbreaking. I mean, the movie is what it is, but I thought at the payoff, we got to show them the fans, these people that have sat here, they want to see what's going to, what's, what it's going to be at the end of the movie. And, um, and they, uh, everyone agreed, but at the end of the day, I just didn't get that opportunity. And I was really heartbroken. Um, and you might actually be angry when you see it, but it's, you know, it is what it is. My favorite part of the film, which some people still hate, but I think the first, you know, the setup of everything is some of my favorite stuff. And we had a lot of fun doing that. Um, but then, you know, uh, the film just garnered, it just got a lot of hate. And, and I, if I'm a masochist, sometimes I'll go and read some of the reviews and I'll just laugh and go, oh, my God, they are so right, though. I have to agree. Yep, they were right. Oh, yeah, I agree with that one. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. You know, it stings when you see those bad reviews. And I try not to um, pay too much attention to them. But um, they're there and our movie is up there. So we did that film. And it's been sort of the bane of our existence uh, forever to deny. But we always look back as a good time, you know. And... Um, and then she came back with this other film and said, I have another idea. And, and when she pitched it to me, I just ran the other way. I said, that, that's no, I can't do it. I'm not doing another picture like that. I, uh, and then the monsters that they said, she had an idea for one idea uh, for one of the concepts. And I said, that's, that doesn't work for me. So that's just not my movie to do. And she didn't give up. And, you know, we worked on small other projects and years went by. And then she came back and said, listen, we still want to do this movie with a train this time. And I thought, oh, okay, okay, let's listen to it. And she basically said, here are the parameters, which is essentially very similar to, you know, Area 407. And, you know, except it's with a train, but you can do whatever you want. Make it your story, you know, because we don't know how, you know, this is going to go. And your creature this time you know, we'll get you a creature. And I said, yeah, because I'm not doing it without the proper creature or at least a creature. And Which is, um, makes sense. she said, yeah, go for it. Go for it. And so I said, all right, you know, this isn't going to be a big budget movie again, but let's give it a shot. So we went ahead and just um, came up with a story. And for me, um, 
I just had to, before saying yes, I just had to see how I could make it real for me, um, the story and where it comes from and why is the derailment and, and all of these things, these elements for me as a director, I, I just had to really believe in it. And then when I, I just started doing research on crashes and derailments and, and rail accidents through history, and then it hit me. It just, it spoke to me. I figured out what this story could be. And then I just started talking with friends and other writers. And then I got together with Everett. Um, and um, we just banged out the story. I pitched it to Suzanne and she really, you know, thought it could work. Although I knew it was truly ambitious. I didn't know if we were going to have the money. And at first we thought we would have everything that we needed. And then and we didn't. And then they said, we're going to go forward anyway. And, um, you know, and that's what happened. I was in and I was too in. I was just too invested, if you know, emotionally. And, um, you know, when, when someone offers you a job uh, to direct, that's a commitment and sort of this, you know, belief in you, if you will. And they're giving you that chance. And it's and you just it's hard to kind of. You know, I try to say yes as much as I can today, uh, and I because I learned through every experience. Um, but at the same time, I knew what I wanted to do this time. Could we pull it off? Because this was just too ambitious. And um, but uh, you know, got together and we did it. And it was really getting together with Everett and finding the history behind um, these crashes for me that really solidified my commitment to the project. And even then. There was this question about the monster. But anyway, we can get into that. But that's how I kind of got started with uh, with Suzanne. She just didn't give up, pitched it to me, and I did the research and figured it out. And um, that's how I got into it. So speaking of derailed, I kind of have like a two-part question here. Were there any scenes that were difficult to film either technically or because of factors that were beyond your control? And do you have a favorite scene? Yeah, yeah. I think there were a number of um, scenes. I think overall it was just, it was rough because we only, we did the film in still like 12 days. So six days in LA and then six days in in Philadelphia. Um, But uh, what was particularly difficult was the post-crash scenes um working on this set that was actually at a slanted angle um about 20 degrees uh the entire time so the crew you know and the cast we were constantly at this angled set which we built by hand you know uh, we didn't have much we built it and it ended up working and we tilted it and of course there's water and we didn't have a pool so that entire post crash sequence all in the train that was particularly difficult um and just we didn't have a lot of time and it rained and it just was so every time on the schedule it was we're going back into the train i just remember just going oh i gotta be strong gotta lead we gotta make this happen and in the end you know the actors were so committed It, it was you know that that difficulty always adds so much more flavor to the moment and I kept telling them, you know, this is tough right now. But in the end, you know, uh, when it's all over with years from now, you'll look back and hopefully this will just be a fond memory. You know, um, that was pretty tough. And then I think um, when we were working with 
a minor with Shay Smollett. She's a minor. So working within that time frame, you only get limited hours um, with a young actor. Um, working that all in and making sense of it, um, not being able to shoot a certain way when you're low budget, you want to shoot everything one direction and then move over and then shoot everything the other direction. And, you know, um, and then we're done, you know, um, getting technical, but you just block shoot everything. But having her there, we couldn't exactly do that because we only had her for just a few hours and, um, night shoots are always tough and, you know, just having to work with that schedule made it really tough. Um, but we made it work and we got through that. And I think the other scene is, um, the one scene, which was with, um, uh, let's call it Eugene, uh, with the, uh, sardine scene, mm-hmm. you know, the, this, uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. climax, that one was really tough because we didn't, I remember we didn't have a lot of time and, um, and it was just so physically tough for that actor to kind of get into what he had to get into. Um, but, uh, it was really, really hot and it was raining <laughs> at the same time. Uh, but that one was tough, but it's just so great to kind of look back on it again. It is a fond memory. Yeah. Those are, those are the difficult moments. There are many on any kind of independent film. But yeah, I think those really stick out for me. Now, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, some of the actors you worked with, um, Shay Smolik, uh, she was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Like, she did a she really, really great job. Yeah. We were very, very lucky we were able to cast her. I saw her in another indie um, horror movie, which she carried, you know, The Sandman. And, um, I remembered her in my head and I remember our producer was saying, look, we need to, we need to cast older to play younger because of all the timing, you know, which I explained, you know, it's just easier to work with someone who isn't technically a minor. And, um, and I got it, I got, but we called in a number of people and, um, and they, they were fine. And, um, but I just kept thinking, you know, can we just call this one actor in and Suzanne was thinking, no, you know, she's young, but let, let's just put her on camera. And she actually doesn't live in Los Angeles, but it just happened that she was coming to LA for some other auditions and it just all worked out. And, and Shay and her mother came over and we put her on tape. It was just apparent. As soon as we just stopped and they walked out the door, Suzanne was in the room and sat there and she said, I see it, Dale. I know what you mean. We, we have to get her. So she was definitely one that just, you know, shined. And we just knew that uh, she was our Abigail. Now, you touched base a little bit on the creature. And when we had the opportunity to interview Suzanne, you know, she gave us her opinion and her, her vision of the creature. Now, I was wondering if you had the same vision. Well, I don't know exactly what her vision was. <laughs> she, at first, I had to fight hard because it was going to happen again. We didn't have enough money. Originally, it was going to. We had the full creature. I had done some concept sketches on my own, and it sort of helped raise money, you know, and interest in the film. People got excited, 
So I had some designs that I did, creature development ideas, but I knew that was going to probably change uh, because the numbers that we were getting to produce this suit um, were quite expensive. And um, either we were going to get a, a real budget or we weren't. And, and um, it was just was obviously going to be cost prohibitive. And so Suzanne at one point even said, you know, I'm afraid that we may just need to can only get a mask or maybe hands and you know you're just gonna have to do the the jaws thing and and i you know i said we can't do this this is what we did last time i you know and so i did everything i could to research a um a special effects makeup artist who can do this creature and i wanted to do it practical as well and so i was lucky enough to find um, kyle thompson at midnight uh, studios in in arizona and he totally felt it, you know, and he worked with us on our budget and we were able to kind of put some things together to create what was my my vision for this creature. Now, you've seen the film. I, I definitely wanted something, a creature that was humanoid um, in form, something that walked upright at first. You thought, what was this? And, you know, is it swimming? Because you don't reveal so much until a certain point in the film. And then something that would then eventually, you know, rise up and then um, walk out of the water, which was a scene we did not get to shoot. We cut to the moon in the film. <laughs> but there's, uh, you know, we wanted to be clear that, whoa, wait a second, you know, this thing, this just does not live only in the water. Um, that's when it arrives, if you will. Um, but yeah, I also wanted something that did not have eyes, um, I wanted it eyeless. It didn't need to see in that way. You know, this is sort of this, um, it didn't judge. It sort of just came, this force of nature, if you will. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted with a lot of teeth. I just wanted that part. I needed something that when you got a glimpse of it, it would look scary, you know. Um, and I wanted to have a lot of fun with that as much as we could. I knew we didn't have a lot of time, but I just needed something that when you took a look at it, you're you just knew, okay, that was kind of cool or fun, you know, and then you didn't want to hang around. So, yeah, that's kind of where it started. And we were just, I was lucky enough to find a guy who was down with it. Um, and we did have to use other pieces from other um, projects and um, other places. And then we replaced details and, and we created this creature that, um, you know, came close to what I had envisioned originally. Did that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I mean, yeah. this thing, you know, we've got a picture of it up on, uh, on okay. the monitor here. Um, one of the bits that I got from it, and um, Suzanne kind of echoed this, it's Creature from the Black Lagoon, but also uh, the Xenomorph in the first Alien film, especially the scene where uh, Abigail goes to open up the door and it's just kind of mm -hmm. chilling there and it, then it's yeah. kind of rears up to its full height. Like I definitely got creepies and, and especially with the uh, sudden second set of jaws in there. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We are, we're huge fans of practical effects. Yes. So there were actually yeah. times when the creature was on screen that we actually paused the movie so we could, you know, just have like a better look at you know, the, the design and stuff because it was really well done. And I think that if you hadn't 
gone with a practical effect, hadn't had a man in a suit, it wouldn't have had the same impact that 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 you know it has in the film. So I just want to commend you on on making that decision because I thought it was just very well executed. And Phil Young Thanks. did a great job as the as the creature. Yay, Phil, get some love. Uh, you know, poor guy. He's like, no one ever gets to see how I love. No one cares. I'm like, are you kidding me? Everyone's going to know your name, good or bad. But yeah, right. you know, he could be the next Doug Jones. You know, well, that was always his his goal. You know, I remember mentioning it to him, and uh, he said, "I want to be in your next film." And I said, "I know the part." He goes, "I want to be your monster." He straight out said, "I want to be your monster." And I said, "Okay, this is what you got to do. You got to start working out. You got to get ready. You got to hold your breath." You gotta... And he was so dedicated he would give me these texts two weeks in i'm down i dropped this weight so you can put me in the suit i did this i can hold my breath for a minute you know he got so into it um such a dedicated um actor and friend and we just had so much fun i I just wish we could have done more and he and i I gotta give so much love to kyle over there for creating this creature and then for phil to bring life into it. And we wanted to really, we, we experimented a little bit of the creature sort of mannerisms and sort of its walk and things. And, and we tried a couple of things on camera because we didn't have a lot of time with the suit. And, um, and then Kyle could not make it to Philly. And we had another really talented um, effects artist, Doug Sackman in Philly. And he did all the other practical effects, but he just had a blast helping bring this creature to life, sliming it and, it was just like, it was like, here, here's your playroom. Here's everything comes, lands and, oh, I get to assemble it, and bring it to life. So that team really, they just had so much fun um, putting it together. But yeah, for sure, we just knew, or I just knew it had to be uh, practical. And because of what happened the last time, the first time, first of all, I have a love for practical features for sure. But I just knew if it's practical, I could shoot it. It's there. I know what I get at least. We can augment it digitally or add something somewhere else if we want. But at least I've got a creature that I know uh, what it looks like and, um, you know, something that I love and it's there to shoot, you know. And uh, instead of getting, you know, boned at the end, you know, um, yeah. But, you know, people do say Creature from Black Lagoon. And to say that wasn't an influence, you know, obviously I got one of those Creature from Black Lagoon. Uh, action figures because i love it so much but you know there are other films for sure alien you know like uh pumpkin head you know um yeah those, definitely yeah uh, those with the, with the were, way the the mouth looks yeah. Yeah. yes yeah there's just there's so many things and, and it's funny you know it's such a low budget film um but there's things that you sort of envision as a director can i get this moment will it play Oh, uh, well, you know, I had to sacrifice this. We we compromised on so much, but there were a couple of scenes that, you know, um, played pretty close to what I was hoping for. And that moment with Abigail at the door when the monster um, is awaiting, that moment pretty much came to uh, to pass for me. It just really came to life, and uh, that was a really a highlight for me to see that, you know. Um, and you know, that take, by the way, in there, we were supposed to put the, um, creature on some higher, like on a block or something like that. And on the next take, so it would be taller. And that was sort of this initial shot of it. 
Um, but we didn't even have time. So we just used that one shot that was there, but to have him, you know, I think even the script, it was just described as it stands up and it opens its mouth and you see, you know, its teeth and, and just to see that and to see Shay standing there just was, uh, it was just such a great moment for everybody. Everyone was like, Whoa, that is pretty beautiful and scary at the same time, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely, like I said, it definitely gave me uh, alien vibes. Uh, yeah, you know where the where it just stands up. You know, similar to when it goes after uh, Veronica Cartwright in uh, towards the end of that film, and she's just standing there screaming instead of you know doing something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like that's that's what I got. Like it's like yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm just. You can't escape me. I'm just waiting for you. And now that you're here, I'm going to show you my full, right. fu- my full force and fury. Well, what I loved, especially right. about that scene, is the character of Abigail was just unwavering. Like, yes. you, know, you have this terrifying creature, you know, getting ready to take her away. And, and she just not a, a, a drop of... She wasn't afraid. She wasn't afraid. Yeah. And I think, you know, and and watching that, it's like, I would be scared shitless, you know, like why, you know, which I think adds a lot to the story too, because, you know, as, as you, as you, you know, delve more into the story, you realize, okay, everything serves a purpose and that purpose isn't what you originally thought it was. And I kind of liked all the layers that this film had. Yes, yes, you got it. And, you know, that's why that scene prior to that moment with um, with Evelyn and her discussing certain things, that was key to set up that moment, you know, this understanding and of what was going on, everything that she had seen prior to this, this time. You know, everyone has their time, if you will. And, um, you know, she just totally got it, you know, and from the innocence of, babes you know she the innocence of a child she gets it and that's one thing that everett and i really loved about that moment you know and at the end you know we still fight you know everyone we still fight to stay alive obviously you know but sometimes how long do we do that you know how long do we um want how long can we do that and and that's the strength that um that evelyn or carter scott you know she brings to that character because you know she's our heroine you will and um you know we want everyone to live so she's gonna fight for as long as she can um and there is something to that but there's also something to understanding um thematically i think our film uh, from the get-go uh was to create a film with a theme that was letting go that was really how i approached it with everything you know this idea of letting go of the past and past let's go with new idea and or you face your worst fear, you know, um, it'll be better if you do some of those ideas we worked into the script. Um, so that, you know, I mean, it's a little over the top once you see the film, but hopefully sometimes it resonates better the second time. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, that's definitely thematically what we were going for. And we hope, I think you guys got it. We hope other people do as well. Yeah, it's, it it took a little bit because yeah, you know yeah. we watched it and we were just kind of uh, we both had very quizzical looks on our on our faces after after watching it. Um, 
But we we digested it a little bit and we were talking about it, obviously, because, you know, we were getting ready to interview Suzanne. And, you know, we, we tend to have conversations, you know, on our way to work and stuff. We talk about podcasts and things that we've watched. And the more we talked about it, the more, you know, he picked up on things. I picked up on things, you know, um, sharing it from his point of view versus mine. We were able to kind of come mm. to this conclusion. We were like, oh, my goodness. You know, so it, it, it we answered a lot. Of, of, of questions, you know, that, that we had had while watching it. And it's like, I didn't even think of that while I was watching it, but I'm thinking of it now when it makes so much more sense. And then watching it, you know, the second time through, knowing what to expect, you can a follow the story a little bit more because you you know that that initial shock value isn't there like oh my god you know like you know how it ends so you can pay attention to the story a little bit more and the interaction between the characters and you know the 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 writing of these characters and yeah it's just it's i could see uh it's it's something that people really need to take their time with. It's something that has a great rewatch value because you're going to pick up on something every time you watch it. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you. Definitely, you know, when I I, I I finished watching it the first time, the first thing I thought of was like, there was so much going on. It's like, like I need to step back and think about this because it's like, what is this? what is this movie trying to be? Mm-hmm. You know, cause I didn't get it at first. I'm like, all right, this is what happened. And then this is what, wait a minute. They were, what? No, hold on. So then I start thinking about it and then, you know, breaking down. Cause we watched this right before we went to bed. So I'm like, all right, let me, uh-huh. and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, Oh, and they showed the train. They showed all the stuff in the train at the end. She disappears. But, oh, okay, yeah, all right, no, I got it, I got it now, you know, and it's... You kind of have that, like, light bulb moment, like, oh my god, I got it! <laughs> Eureka! <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait a minute, it's a... They're really getting... Ki- people are really getting killed on this murder mystery thing, but then the train goes off, and then there's a monster, and then she's running around trying to get away from the monster, but then she disappeared in the shed... And then there was definitely like that shining moment towards the end there with the uh, yes. group photo. And it's like, okay, I get it. Yeah. It almost, it kind of played out like an episode of the Twilight Zone because what you think is happening, what you think is going on, there's a lot more to it. There's a deeper meaning. There's and you a lot of undertones. See the right. Yes. Yeah. The Hitchcock and the Rod Serling Twilight Zone influence. It's funny because. When we finished the script, Everett and I looked at it and we went, you know, a lot of people are going to go, what the F? What, I mean, what, what is this movie? Do they know what they're doing? Um, because it definitely changes gears for sure. Um, and then you, even in the trailer, you know, you see this show within a show, if you will. So some of those moments are somewhat over the top and you know, what is this? What are we, what are we watching here? And, um, and it is stylistically done in that way. Um, but that was by design, you know, I mean, we knew what we wanted to do and, you know, I understand everything's sort of been done. So this is our telling, this is kind of our way of doing it. So it was a bit of a, a mashup, if you will, sort of a reshuffling. Um, and that for me was part 
of the design of how I kind of wanted to tell it. I just wanted it to be a little more um, unpredictable, but maybe people wouldn't get it. Maybe they thought, well, is it this movie? Is it a monster movie? Is it a murder? What is this movie? It The movie is what you see. And if that's its own, you know, genre or what, you know, what is that for you? You know, and I, and this idea of things changing and switching, you know, when you think about it, um, I was always, you know, why this movie now? Right. And, and it was obviously it was an opportunity to work, but having, you know, my father passed away and there was a lot on my mind during that time. And then, um, I, I came across this idea. I was this, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, confabulation or paramnesia. It's this notion, this phenomenon of distorted memory and, and confusion um, of fact, you know, and fantasy without the intention of deceiving anyone. You know, it's, it's what happened. And someone tells you the story. This is what happened. And it was mostly true, but I didn't mean to lie. It just was it, you know, you, you didn't even exaggerate, but that's pretty much. So this idea that things sort of change. So this idea of memory, it's sort of this memory piece and a dream, which eventually, um, obviously, it turns into more of this nightmare, you know? So this idea of always switching gears and then, you know, in a dream, you're sitting there in, in the tropics, sipping on a pina colada, and then you step into the sand, and then next thing you know, the sand is starting to feel squishy, and the next thing you know, you're running away from a monster, if you will. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, this dream just switched into a nightmare. What did I have? Well that's what you experienced, you know? And so having that feel, that was important for me. I just wasn't sure if people would get it and we knew it was a little risky, but it is what it is. This is our chance to sort of have an opportunity to create something um, that was ours. We just wanted to make sense of our story um, and for you to sit back and go, does that make sense? And yeah, that makes sense. And this is why that happened. And that happened way over here and, you know, so that was our challenge with Everett to kind of keep make it unique and sort of, you know, keep keep you guessing, if you will. Yeah, it, yeah, that was pretty it, background. On it. it definitely does do that. So, yeah, I want to ask you, in your opinion, why should people see this movie? I think it's a film that will make you think. I think it's a film that make you feel in a different way you know obviously we would love to support because it's independent filmmaking all right let's support independent film but it's it's kind of a fun movie i think it's something that makes you think about life and i think that's a takeaway you know um sometimes things are really bad and you just need to escape and and when you watch this movie it can kind of make you think about your life now that's what it did for me in generating the story it made me sort of think about how much control we have or little of it we have. Is it really up to us? How much is it up to us? Um, and, you know, I think it's something that will make people think. You know, it's still a lot of fun. It's a creature movie. And if you like creature movies, creature features, um, hopefully fans uh, can get behind it for that reason. I mean, that's tremendous fun to see this thing running around. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that that's... Uh, that's at least a few reasons why. Did that answer your question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. this film offers a lot. And if you are a fan of horror, if you are a fan of suspense, if you are a fan of sci-fi, you're going to like this film. If you are a fan of things that aren't, you know, 
what they seem. If you're a fan of things that, you know, uh, stories that subterfuge and misdirection. Going, yeah. You know, it's, it's what you see isn't always what you get. And, you know, you kind of have to put the pieces together. And I think a lot, um, Hollywood tends to be lacking a lot of originality these days, especially when it comes to horror films. Um, you know, there are certain, franchises that are currently out there that uh, are just so disappointing. And I think a film like this has so much creativity and so much heart behind it that it, it it's just, it's so unique and it's so refreshing. And I think that people should definitely take the chance on it. I know we're, we're looking forward to adding this film to our collection. Absolutely. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I think our listeners will definitely be interested in checking this one out. I, I can't say enough good things about this film, the writing, the acting, you know, the, the directing, the cinematography, there are some great scenes in there, you know, the whole, the, the, the monster, the creature um, set up and stuff. It's, it's like I said, we, you know, we had the chance to talk to Suzanne. Um, we're now talking to you. I think, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we, we like it. And, you know, we can't, we can't recommend this film enough. Yeah. To me, wow. to me, this is, this is the film that all these strung out horror fans are looking for. It's like, I don't want to see a Friday, the 13th reboot. I don't want to see a leprechaun continuation. That you know, doesn't like have as much as it's, it's it. fun to see just some, you know, mindless gore fest, you know, sure. it's sometimes you want something with a little more depth to it. And, and that's what this film right, is. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is the original, you know, new fresh idea that you know horror fans claim that they want you know i yeah. think one of the issues is that a lot of people are just like oh i don't want to see the same thing that i've seen a hundred times but i do and other people are like you know like us you know i want to see something different i want to see you know something that makes me think you know because this, you know, when I say like the first thing I thought of with this film, I was like, it was too busy. There was, there was too much. I don't know which direction they wanted to go in, and that's the first thing I thought. And it's like, but there's got to be a reason that this happened the way it did. So let me break down, you know, and analyze this. I'm no, you know, like I told Suzanne, I'm no professional film critic. There are people who know way more about this stuff than I do, but <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, getting better at analyzing things. And I am a huge, huge proponent of uh, independent films, independent, you know, uh, filmmakers, you know, so I will look at these things in a way that I don't look at, you know, big budget Hollywood films. So it's like, okay, what were they going for? And like, you know, I always keep in the back of my mind, you know, like you said, you guys shot this in 12 days. It's like, this isn't like a two month, you know, ordeal where they had like all kinds of time and there's going to be a, a 45 minute blooper reel and 12 deleted scenes. Like, no, (laughs) this is going to be what pretty much what was shot is what was going to be in the film because you don't have the luxury of doing all these extra things and taking all this extra time. You know, like you were saying, you know, one of the, one of the best actors was, you know, a minor. And so you had to really nail her scenes quicker than you would have to do anybody else's. So, yeah. you know, there's more pressure on you guys. And another thing I notice in lower budget films that I don't, uh, that I do see in big films is you rarely see somebody 
phoning it in. You rarely see someone who's like, you know, just giving this blah performance. I mean, like, Lance Henriksen's a big star. Everybody knows him. He's one of two people to be killed by an alien, a predator, and a Terminator. <laughs> and he went out there and, like, he gave a good Lance Henriksen performance. Yeah. You know? That's what I was going to say. If I see it, I was going to say, and if you're a fan of Lance, he just adds so much of that grounded, soulful gravitas needed, as you know, in that in his scenes and it just oh it was written with him in mind and never in my dreams that i really think we were going to get him and it just it happened you know i wanted him for like we needed him for the schedule for two days but we were running out of time and they said we can't afford to you know this and that but maybe you can get could you work with him for this amount of time and i said if i could get him in for like 15 minutes i will you know i will make that work and and he was just really one um, – he was very supportive of the script. He, we sent him the script, and, and then we talked when we came on set at length. And it was just really fantastic when he just – he got it. Uh, we, we could have spoke probably all night about it, but we just had to keep going. He had to get on to our sh- shooting schedule. But he is just really wonderful in the film. I wish there could have been more, but it was just – yeah, he was really, really great. We did take a chance on this film, yes. I mean – some people might say we tried to do too much or trying too hard. If it comes off that way, then we're guilty of that. Okay. You know, but we were trying to do something, a film that we liked and something that we felt spoke to us, Everett and I and Suzanne. We want to do something that we enjoyed. The horror level is not as high as maybe some might want, you know, in some of these gore fests, but there's enough there to have a little fun with it um, for this story. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's definitely, you know, it, with all the different styles that are in there, um, we, it ended up being having its own flavor, if you will. And I think, um, that some people are enjoying that, uh, and some are not, I'll be clear. I will be very clear. This is a low budget film, so I'm going to manage expectations, but there are some really nice moments in it. And, and we really, we really, really love the story. I mean, if I could have had three more days, it would maybe even be a different movie and more intense and maybe even deeper and, you know, even stand up rah, 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 because the script ended up being slightly different because we just didn't have enough time to shoot what we needed. But yeah, Lance having him there and Frank coming in from the Netherlands and just having a lot of fun with it was just, um, there were just lots of, signs that said just keep going just keep doing this you know um get through this it's gonna you're gonna be fine at the end of the day you know um it is what it is and we love it for all of its you know shortcomings and all of its wonderful moments for sure well i look at it like this and you know i've i've said this multiple times show me something that has universal appeal show me Mm -hmm. one thing that everyone's like yes i like that just one that's all I need. I mean, there's a reason there's chocolate and vanilla. Mm-hmm. You know? So nothing is going to be universally popular and nothing is going to be universally like despised. But if you can get more people to like it than not, then you've done your job. And then you've got yeah. two fans here. Like we had a, a, a great time with this. You know, we, like I said, watching it the first time I was like watching it with a critical eye and, I'll admit I was a little confused, but I wanted to make sure that 
I didn't want to just dismiss it offhand, be like, you know, because that's what people do. Like, oh, well, it didn't do this, so it was a dumb movie, and it didn't do this, so that movie sucked. But it's like, it didn't do X, Y, and Z, but it did A, B, and C. And why did it do A, B, and C instead of X, Y, and Z? You know, mm-hmm. is it budgetary? Is it, you know, shooting constraints? But it's like, how did you get around those limitations? And I think you guys did a great job. Everyone involved did a really excellent job of getting things, you know, sort of to tell a coherent story. And uh, that was going to be one of my one of my other questions for you, you know, as the editor, as well as writing and directing, like you, you helped edit this. So was it painful to you to, you know, have to cut certain shots or, you know, leave certain things out of the film that you were like, I really want to get this in there, but for pacing or continuity, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And I, I'll must give note for Jose Montesinos who also helped edit it. He pretty much assembled the film. I needed an objective eye, so we worked together on putting this film together. And he's a director in his own right, and uh, we, it was our first time to work together. And he just did a fantastic job of really piecing together this film. And he, and he's worked on those big shark movies, which I think you're a fan of, aren't you? You're a shark guy, aren't oh, you? Oh, I love my shark movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, you know, he he's we used to how do I say working fast. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, on a side note, some of those effects guys and directors from those shark movies helped work on this side from behind the scenes, like some visual effects and, and things like that. So it was really cool to be introduced to that team a bit and work with them. I just had, it was such a great time. Uh, but he put it together and it was clear that he totally got it and he had a great, you know, a clear, great understanding of what was going on. But yeah, we had to cut some things. But, um, what was more painful? was when we were on set is that's when I actually had to do a lot of onset editing, if you will. Like we knew there was this entire section we had to draw, you know, like this show within the show, there were some moments there that were really going to set up more of our characters, um, going further. Um, and some of our players in there had a lot of fun with their characters as well. Um, and you know, those had to be severely cut. There was another scene which was much more action-packed in the train, which there is a nice, fun moment there with Bree, by the way, who was a trooper. Um, the, there was a scene there which there was supposed to be a bigger fight scene uh, where Letitia LaBelle, who plays Antonia, really um, comes forward, and that had to be cut. Um, and it was more of definitely all, uh, you know, uh, influenced by Alien, uh, but but we had to change the script, edit that out because we only had so many days. We lost a day because of rain. Now we only have this much time, and it, that that editing that was very very tough because I was just I was tearing my hair out. I said, well, that means that's not going to work, and we had to literally sit in a room um, before shooting and and pitch it out to our producers and say, this is what we're going to do today because we can't do this that gets thrown out. How do we make sense and connect all of this yet? Keep the story intact. So a lot of uh, love for Everett Wallen for that, because he, he and I just sat there and, and really kind of, he pitched it and made it work and just was by my side. He, he's the one that um, he plays Thomas in the film as well as being one of the writers. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, it's also this women empowerment type of film too. You know, when we thought about it, you know, this idea that strength can come from yourself and and not have to rely and look at anyone else. You know, there's that moment, um, and we thought that was really this beautiful idea. And you know, the the women in the film are so strong, and we love that. Um, and people sometimes miss that final moment that you, you know, as she gets on that final, final, final moment, people miss that. They just look at her face and then they just see cutting to black. And I go, no, she gets on at the end, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, that's right. Wait a minute. And then they watch it again. And then they realize, as you said, she does that little slight, you know, transparency, if you will. And then suddenly people are like, okay, I think... I think I understand this again, you know, um, and that can make all the difference in the world, that little detail, at least in making some sense of it, if it wasn't already explained no, it, and hit over the head with you. No, it definitely makes sense. I mean, and it's, it's one of those movies that like you, you, like we've talked a lot about it and we've talked about a lot of mm-hmm. different plot points from it, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's still something that people need to see in order to understand. So right now it's, uh, where where can can people find this? Because this is well, this go, is airing this, it, uh, August eighth. Oh, okay. So it should be out on multiple platforms by the time you hear this. Um, I think it's going to be. On, I know it's on iTunes. Um, it should be on all these other ones. I'm not sure exactly where it's not. They haven't told us yet. But I know it's supposedly on multiple platforms all over the place. It shouldn't be hard to find. Yeah, but it'll be out there. We'll we'll post links in the trailer and yeah. Whatnot. Um, I definitely really like the tagline, stay inside and die, go outside (laughs) and fight for your life. Like, that's, I mean, it sums it up pretty well. Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, No, I think this was a a really interesting movie, and it's definitely something new and different that, you know, again, horror fans have been clamoring for for years at this point. Instead of all these, you know, uh, done to death retreads, remakes, reboots, recycles. But there's a there's a sweetness to it as well. Like you mentioned in that um, that the necklace that she wears. um, Yeah, you know, it's just it's such a subtle little thing, um, but it's so impactful, and you know. Uh, uh, just kind of piggybacking on what you said about, you know, the, there are some strong female characters in this film and they were definitely played by some strong female leads. Um, I just, I love that. I was just that, that kind of like underlying sweetness and just, um, you know, uh, almost like a little, a little bit of positivity, you know, like the, yeah. the, everything is, is so dark and scary and everything. But then, you know, you have, Evelyn just kind of, you know, and, and her uh, back and forth with Abigail as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like a little bit of sweetness in there. That's just, it's just so nice. But yeah, the whole, uh, the thing with her necklace, I just, I really enjoyed that. It was just, it was a nice little touch yeah. in the film. Yeah, that was a really nice touch. I like that a lot. Yeah, thank you. And I remember sitting there with Everett and, um, saying you know and he said it he said it's going to be the the heart um that's gonna really stick with these people i hope you know and and we agree we just we love that moment and and 
you know, and it's, it's shared, you know, there's that moment by the window that it kind of comes back and, uh, and then at the very end and you wonder, and it's back on the tread, you know, it's just really, that's a prop, but it means and represents so much when you mm-hmm. think about it and when you see it and, and you're like, ah, I see it. And that's really, that was really in our heads when we were creating that. And we just hope that, you know, folks like you would get it. And you guys really, I mean, you don't know how this conversation, it just really made my day just to know that there are people out there that appreciate these kind of films. Cause yeah, a lot of people want something different. And when you show them something different, uh, you know, they're like, well, no, I guess I didn't want something different. Well, this isn't what I'm um, used to. Yeah. <laughs> it's not big budget enough. I want a hundred thousand, a hundred million dollar budget, you know, with huge names. Yeah. Uh, but those movies aren't always good. I brought up with Suzanne Geostorm just cause it's got a hundred million dollars. Doesn't mean it's going to be an Oscar winner. True, true. That doesn't guarantee anything. You know, it might guarantee some uh, dollars in the box office. I mean, it was fun. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; it's a fun movie. But yeah, yeah, it's no different from a sci-fi disaster movie. It's just got a bigger budget and better names attached to it. Yeah, that's not true, better. True. I sh- I shouldn't say better. It's more recognizable. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, so. Here we are, and this is what we cranked out, and we just hope that people will appreciate it. And speaking to you guys, you just really got the nuance and the layers of um, much of you know what is in there. And I guess a lot of it had to do with us kind of talking through it, to have this luxury or just this opportunity to talk to you about it and answer questions and was really, really great. Well, we are happy to have you come on and, and chat with us. Like, Oh, it's my pleasure. Yes, thank my you pleasure. so much. No, I, before we let you go, we just have a couple yeah. things before we wrap up. Uh, I see that you are uh, – I have your IMDb page up, and I see that you are currently working on a short called Happy. That's currently – Yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? That is a short film, and a good friend of mine, another Riot producer, Brian Parker – um, you know, we were looking to tell a story and getting a chance to work together. And it's an urban tale. And it's a story about uh, a young man uh, who befriends um, a young boy and they kind of they strike this friendship and it impacts his life. It's, it's a really short, short film. And, um, and it was low budget, but it's something is it more of a vehicle for him to try something different. Um, and it's kind of, it's reminiscent of say, you know, um, moonlight. It's reminiscent of that. That's what some people would say. Okay. So we're in post on that as we speak. And the other, but yeah, that's some, the other one I, uh, I saw, and you're actually the supervising producer on this. And it's again with, uh, De Laurentiis pictures, uh, triangle. Now, is that like a Bermuda triangle thing that we're talking about mm-hmm. or? I don't know what she told you, but that is epic. That she, is. She epic. didn't tell me anything. I'm just. I was going over your IMDb page to see what uh-huh. else you have coming up that you know we could talk about and kind of help promote. Yeah, that is not a genre picture. That's a more historical period film. Um, okay. It's big. It's it's like um, I would say it is. Um, it's on the Titanic level. Okay. It's, it could be that way. And Everett, um, 
you know, helped write the script with Stephen Ravel, who did Nixon. And I mean, just such great talent. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a historical period. It's, um, I don't know how much I could say about it, but yeah, she um, didn't tell us it, much. She, she yeah, said yeah, she has stuff coming out that, you know, to keep big. an eye on it. Yeah. And yeah. And it's a historical. beautiful story, but it's entirely, entirely, entirely different. It's not a genre film at all. Like well, that. I'm very interested in, in checking it out. It's one of those things that kind of like stood out to me. It's like, it's not a usual title. Mm-hmm. But I mean, obviously, the first thing I thought of was Bermuda Triangle. Thinking, you know, right? Are we going to be in the same vein? But where you're saying this is going to be something completely different, I'm very interested because there's not much information on IMDb about it. Right. It just says, is there even a poster? Is there a poster? No, up? there's no, no picture. It just says writers. <laughs> it says okay. you know, add an image. Do you have any images for this title? Yeah. Like, add it's full blank. plot. Add synopsis. Like there's nothing. Right. No. So, yeah. That one's pretty big and you know, it's it's funny. She wants to talk about it to gain more interest, yet she's afraid to kinda of talk about it because she doesn't want to give it away too much. But I you know, I read the script and it's it's another one. It it, it you know, it it's more of a love story. It's on that Titanic level, you know. Um at the same time, you know, it's not gonna be that movie, you know, that one was like I don't know most expensive movie in history at the time. So this is not going to be that, but it's very strong piece. It was a period and a time that affected America. Um, and uh, for sure, it's one that if it gets made, when it gets made, it's going to be one that, you know, um, it, you know, will affect people and will, will be remembered. I'm not directing that. Um, no, you're, you're, you're listening yeah, to the producer. I'm helping that. manage that right now. Yeah. But very I exciting. figured, you know, it's another, it's another uh, team up with, you know, Suzanne's company. So I figured, you know, let's touch on that a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah. And she mentioned that. So, I mean, again, she mentioned it in like vague terms. She's like, well, there's a, a movie and there are some people working on it. So, yeah. But yeah, when you yeah, guys yeah. are ready to talk about it, uh, we'll be available. If yeah, you have an open you have, invitation. Yes. Yeah. Anytime uh, you'd like to come back, just let us know. That would be awesome. And, you know, I, I am working on another, a uh, project that uh, it's, it's a passion project for me and I'm just trying to find a home for it. You know, Suzanne isn't quite sure if we want to do another genre picture, but this is one that, you know, I've been developing for a while and it was one I was working on before derailed came in. So I kind of derailed this project, put it on its side, but you know, it's a horror movie that celebrates the traditions and legends of my Filipino culture. It, it's dark folklore. It's bringing Asian horror, Filipino to be specific, to america and it's this idea of what we understand rules to be and creatures and um you know it's inspired by true life stories and tales of horror told my family with my sensibilities and it has a modern twist on it and um yeah it's something that's still vague right now but it's one that's really unique and i just really want to introduce some of these stories um here you know um sort of like the ring and, and things like that. Okay. Japanese horror, but this is definitely, it's all American. It's all, um, Western. So I'd love to introduce that and some of those ideas here. And it would be pretty, it, the horror level on that one is different. So I just wasn't sure if Suzanne would be on board for that. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. But it's definitely, 
it's a level up, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I can I can imagine on that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah there's a lot yeah. of rich folklore that, you know, if you just read, you know, like American stuff that you're not aware of, you know, yeah, all over the world. Like, and it's, there's some intense, scary things. You know? That's right. You're exactly right. Just, just because we didn't hear about it and then we get introduced to it. And then, you know, it's funny is there, there are similarities through culture, you know, like, Oh, that's kind of like, you know, that, you know, this other one. and Like all the different uh, tales Hispanic. of like Bigfoot right. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there are those similarities. So you've got that universal understanding of what this is, but that's kind of thematically what this film is going to be. It's what you think you understand something to be based on what you already know does not necessarily mean that's the truth. That's right. the theme idea, but because if we want it to be, Here's what you know this to be, but no, it doesn't work that way. You know, you think this works? No, that doesn't work. Yeah, and, and we're, that's the horror is our lack of understanding something. It's 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 what you think you understand, and when you don't know what's going on, that's what makes horror horror for me. It's if I know what's in the dark, then it's not scary. You turn off the light. I know that's my office, and my computer is there, and my chair is there, and step over to the right, or I'll trip over the, the fan. But if I heard a sound and I don't know what's there in the dark, suddenly that's scary to me. Just because something might have even fallen in my office. I'm like, what is that? What, what caused that? Suddenly it takes a, uh, the stakes are higher somewhat in my heart starts to beat. So it's a little bit of that, hopefully. And, and it'll be, again, I'm hoping to introduce something new and refreshing. Well, we look forward to that and, you know. Definitely let us know and we'll help promote it. Yeah, thank you. So I want to thank you for uh, joining us tonight. Um, where can folks follow you on social media? Uh, Instagram, Dale.Babrigar, F-A-B-R-I-G-A-R. That's where I am. I don't do a lot of film and horror stuff a lot. It's mostly my escape, artistic photographs and things a little bit. You know, I try to do something creative every day, if not once or twice a week. Uh, uh, that's my goal, you know, to do something creative every day. Um, so that really helped me get that out. Um, but, uh, that's mainly it. I'm not on Facebook much and, um, I rarely tweet these days. I do read and I do see tweets, but I rarely get into it. (laughs) So yeah, mostly Instagram and you can still probably, you know, see what's going on on Facebook. All right. Well, again, we want to thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. And uh, again, whenever you uh, are ready to promote something new, let us know. And uh, you have an open invitation. Uh, Well, it was my pleasure speaking to you both. And thank you for giving us a chance to talk about the movie. And it was great just talking to you about everything. I just, uh, it was really my, you know, pleasure. Patsy and Ash is awesome. You guys rock. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And uh, with that, we'll take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back to wrap up the show. All right. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. it. Uh, Thank you so much. It wasn't wasn't too bad. (laughs) What's that? I I said, I hope that wasn't too bad for you. No, the hardest part were those first questions. (laughs) Um, Those are, I hate those, but no, it's all right. Keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I guess you can always say there's not a wrong answer, but I just uh, I hate dead air and like um, um, you know, there's people that are quicker and wittier 
But um, well, I can always cut out that dead air. You guys really made it work. Thanks. Yeah, and good luck with this film. I hope a lot of people take the opportunity to see it and you know purchase it. And is is it going to be on um, like available to purchase on disc? Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I um, I just saw the uh, DVDs that the distributor created so it's probably going to be in the stores at some point perhaps even red boxes and things like that i think at some point but i think they wanted to kind of go out wide you know um streaming at first mm-hmm. so i think that's where it's going to start but I, I i believe i thought it was going to be on amazon as well you know you can order the disc so that's going to be available but i just saw the discs um just recently so they are out there Perfect. In, in um, Walmart usually carries like the independent stuff. I know a lot of the sci-fi mm-hmm. asylum stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. hopefully we can pick it up there. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Walmart is probably going to have it for sure. Like they, yeah. They, as far as I know, this distributor is pretty big with Walmart. Yeah, that's always because that's one of the advantages they have over Target is they will mm, they'll take yeah. a chance on the on the indie stuff that Target yeah. will. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of cool. I did as I did this inspirational film, family film, which we didn't mention in this conversation, but it was totally different. It was one that I did right before Derailed, and that made it to a Walmart like immediately um, as soon as they you know finished it, and that one did really well for them, you know. Um, oh, and so good. it's kind of you know you kind of get tickled when you see a movie on the shelf and the and the artwork is done, you know. Um, it's always exciting to see it out there. So derailed is definitely one that we just finished the art and we just saw the, um, the DVDs. And as far as I know, they said it's going to be out everywhere. It's already out in Japan. You got to see the, uh, the Japanese poster. Oh, I was going to say the, the Japanese poster is amazing. Oh, did you see it? Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. What I, when dope. I, when I've yeah. been watching some of these movies, like, you know, cause my goal this year is to average a movie a day. I'm a little oh, bit behind, yeah. but I'll post like, hey, I'm on number whatever. Here's the movie poster. And a couple of my friends do it too. Like, uh-huh. here's here's a movie. And like, we try to find like the coolest posters we can. And mm-hmm. I found the Japanese poster. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, it reminds me. I mean, there's nothing, you know, how the American version is. It's rather subtle, you know, and mm-hmm. depending on the original yeah. version that we had was just there was no creature it was a train that was sinking in a hand with a creature's hand originally it was a, a human hand and then now it, it has evolved to the creature now we want to show the creature but this japanese version they love the monster as you can understand and it comes off like a bit like a kaiju poster you know what i mean it's like oh, yeah. a monster movie with there's nothing subtle about it it's like monster train derails into water you got to see it. You know, it's like, it's just so like, uh, I just almost want to make another movie for them. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Great, you know? Well, it's funny that uh, you mentioned Kaiju because, uh, the digital version of Godzilla King of the monsters comes out August 6th as well. Yeah. 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 And, uh, that should be fun. You know, bigger budget, much bigger budget. Yeah. But just yeah, just a it, little. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I just talked to another friend who, his name is Mark Atkins. I don't know if you had a chance to ever speak with him. No. He's a director. He does all of those Asylum monster movies. And he has a mo- movie, mo- uh, monster movie called, I don't know if they changed the title, like Kaiju 
Island or Monster Island. Yes, yes, or yes. Something. Yeah, yeah. So he worked on that, and he did a lot of the shark movies. And he's the one that helped me with. He helped us a lot with some, just a few of the digital shots in our for uh, derailed. But uh, yeah, he's got a big monster kaiju movie coming up. You know, that's really along the lines of you know Godzilla. Yeah, yeah but which uh, is and just it's funny phenomenal. that there's a there's an artist in Japan. Um, who does, what do you call them, like vinyl kaiju sofubis? Are you familiar with those little vinyl Yeah, 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 like little, little dudes, yeah. Yeah, and um, and he decided, he said, hey, you know, I didn't mention this, it's kind of on the down low at the moment, but he said, I, I want to make a monster based on your, you know, your monster. And I was like, I would be, are you Shut kidding? Up, I, I would that's be honored, so cool. you know, and what's the name of it? You know, what's the name? What's the name? And I go, it's called the Soul Shredder is the name of the creature. So we actually have a name. We don't talk about it. It does give away the movie a bit if you care to think about it. But yeah, and he just was so like excited to, to make it. So I actually, I thought it was just kind of, hey, nice to meet you. I want to make a monster, but he actually is working on something. So that is really, for me, just I don't know how to explain it. It's just to have someone say, we dig the monster enough to do a little vinyl toy limited thing of it. And it'll be stylized his way, but that is just too cool. Well, definitely let me know where I can get one. Cause <laughs> we just, we just turned my man room into our studio and it's totally rearranged. And we're trying to promote some of the stuff that we've been, you know, fortunate enough to, you know, talk to directors and writers and actors and stuff. So we're trying to promote that stuff. So, you know, yeah. if we can get one of, you know, we'll pick one of these up and we'll pick up derailed and we'll like kind of put it in one of our like places of honor around the room. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be so awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, Hey, we're coming up on two hours. So, uh, Oh boy. I flew. <laughs> we'll, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I won't take we'll any more go. of your time. Oh no! Th- but thank you so much. Yeah, like this, this was, was a lot of this fun. was a lot of fun. Like Likewise. we've inter- we've interviewed some very interesting people, and um, yeah, this was very fun. <laughs> yes, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, I caught I caught a piece of um, was it Ben? Your interview with Ben? Oh, yeah, Ben Goldsmith, the comic book writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was just like just so much fun to listen to he's, as well and yeah, i'm like man that, that that cat has a lot of energy oh yeah Bonkers, um, yeah that's a yeah. hard uh, that's a tough act to follow yeah we just we <laughs> met him like a month ago at a convention oh. so oh but yeah it was uh it was really good talking to you and like i said you know that wasn't just for show like you have an open invitation if you want to come on and talk about twilight zone we've never covered any twilight zone episodes you know you have other stuff you want to promote please feel free to reach out to us. Let us know. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. You have yourself a great evening. All right. Have a great one. Thanks for the chance to talk. It was a pleasure. All right. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Talk soon. Yes, absolutely. Bye. Bye. Thanks for the support. Love you guys. Thank you. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast.
And we are back. All right. Well, this is officially our longest episode ever, and I had to find a bunch of stuff to uh, to fill breaks. I'm really uh, hoping that you guys liked our train themed uh, uh, the train themed uh, music coming back from breaks because uh, I was like, oh, let me find some music that has something to do with trains, and like those are really the only two that I could find that weren't like by the band train. So, uh, that was, those were really good interviews and you can tell when, you know, we did one with the, uh, <laughs> with the studio set up and one two weeks before the studio was set up, you could definitely tell the difference in audio quality. We're still working on things. We're still tweaking things. I'm still learning how to do this stuff. So please bear, bear with as, as I get uh, more proficient. It's bear. Yes. Bear with us, right, Frog? Bear left. So, um, before we we um, we we go, we do have battle results. We do. So, I was going to play the battle theme, but that's only for that's only when, when we, we throw down the battle. The battle. So the battle has been thrown. I'm down. not. I'm not going to play the battle theme. No. Um, so last week we threw down Machete Mayhem, which Jason Voorhees is the true king of Camp Crystal Lake. You could choose from CJ Graham, who was Jason in Part 6, Kane Hodder, who was Jason in Parts 7 and 8, Jason Goes to Hell, and Jason X, Ken Kurzinger, who was Jason in Freddy vs. Jason, and Derek Mears, who Jason in the most recent incarnation of Friday the 13th that came out in 2009. 2009. So, no surprise here. Everyone voted, well, almost everyone voted, that uh, Kane Hodder is the winner. There was an honorable mention that uh, Alex threw in. Yeah, so he mentioned Ted White from Part 4. Yes. Which is a good good choice. So we're not going to take anything away from Ted White. Uh, today it was, uh, Kane Hodder's day. He was the, uh, the champion. So what are we doing next week? What's next week's episode? Because it starts tomorrow. What are we doing? I don't know. What are we doing? Oh, we're going somewhere. Yes. We are going to Terrificon at Mohegan Sun. We're going to have a terrific time at Terrificon. We are. You should come too. If, uh, we'll have snacks. And if you're hungry, we will give you a snack. You want some candy, little boy? Some candy. So we will have we will have snacks. We will be there uh, representing the Dorkening. We will be there with uh, some of the folks from the Dorkening. I still don't have a complete roster as to who's going, but I know Leo will be there Friday and most of Saturday. A lot of fun people. So if you like to have fun and be around fun people and have a terrific time, come to Terrificon. Yep. Mohegan Sun, Uncasville, Connecticut. Uh, you won't have to gamble on having a fun con time because this is a sure thing you can bet on it snake eyes chips (laughs) money don't have to worry about your poker face because you'll be having a good time yeah if you see ash ashes walking around poker in the shoulder to get her attention like i'm doing I'm, if you can see what I'm me. doing, I swear to God, I'm going to hit you. You said you were going to stab me earlier, and you still haven't. So yeah, it was it was tempting, but you know. Yeah. So 
Yeah, ne- we're going to be at, uh, at Terrificon all weekend. We're going to be covering that. Uh, we're going to get some recordings. Hopefully, we're going to get some some really nice interviews, talk to some swell folks, and uh, we're going to be putting that together for you for next week. And um, yeah, we'll have a new battle. We'll have uh, some other uh, fun stuff, and uh, hopefully some uh, some cool cats that we talked. I mean, pretty much anybody we talk to at this con is going to be a cool cat, but. Uh, I don't know. I think that's about it. This episode has gone on long enough. This is over two and a half hours now. So, uh, you have something else you want to talk about? You don't have any science? Oh, week? I have science. I Did you want to do science and wine on the two and a half hour episode? I mean, I feel like at this point, people deserve it. That's true. That's true. So, well, hold on. Let if me, I had to listen to me for two and a half hours, I would want some wine as well. Well, If I had to listen to you for two and a half hours, you I don't have definitely to. want some you wine. Get just remember that, folks. You don't have to. You get to. So, uh, I guess with with that announcement there, I guess uh, since you have some wine facts, we might as well play the uh, the wine theme. Although I'm you're working not, on some new stuff. Well, I'm working on some new stuff, and you know this may be the last time we use the wine theme. So I think we should we should play the wine music. As I uh, keep stalling until it loads up and plays. And um, we're almost there. And. party and that the theme of that fun theme party was what are you looking for I'm looking for where i left my telephone right here oh well yeah keep going on what you're doing well need to organize the studio um yes. so i went to a super fun party with a super fun theme and that fun theme was let's get laid get it because it was like a luau theme party let's get laid <laughs> fun um so anyways i made some luau fun tropical themed snacks and drinks to bring to this party so i made a pineapple salsa and i presented it in the pineapple almost took my finger off doing it but it looks really cute in the end so it was worth it i made some pina colada cheesecake bite thingies that were really dreamy and light and lush and delicious and i made a pina colada sangria now i love pina coladas and i love sangria so and getting caught in the rain oh well you know making love at midnight in the dunes of the cape um so anyways uh yeah pina colada sangria so i'm going to give you this recipe So don't worry, kids, if you don't have a pen and pencil available, I'm going to post this on the social medias and stuff as well. So you can also rewind it and play it again. Um, But what you're going to need is a big bottle of Moscato. Like I'm talking like the, the one and a half liter bottle, you know, the big bottle of Moscato, a 
bottle. A lotto Moscato. A lotto Moscato. Yes. Uh, a 750 ml bottle of coconut rum. A 20 ounce can of pineapple chunks in the pineapple juice. And 18 ounces of pineapple juice. So what you do is you combine everything. Now, I only used about two-thirds of the bottle of rum. If you are feeling adventurous, you can totally use the whole bottle of rum. I actually recommend using the entire bottle of rum for a very good time. I just didn't I didn't know how... how um, inebriated some of the guests wanted to get at this shindig so i decided to play it a little on the safe side but yeah you just combine the what i usually do is in the container i have those one of those little fun drink dispenser guys i pour the pineapple chunks in first so don't worry about draining it juice and all just pour the entire can uh followed by the moscato the 18 ounces of pineapple juice, and then just top it off with the rum. I highly suggest that you make this the night before. It has, uh, gives everything to kind of like sit and the flavors to kind of meld together and for the pineapple chunks to absorb some of that alcohol. So when you're done drinking the sangria, you have these fun little sangria rum infused pineapple chunks to, to eat, which is always fun. So, yeah, a pina colada sangria. It's fun. You should try it. That sounds delicious. It was delicious. I drank a lot of it. Well, I also have a uh, sort of like a recipe thing, some baking tips uh, for this week. So as soon as my music going to be able to share this with you because I have... Oh my god, this is like episode one all over again. No, it is not. This is episode Everything is Awesome. Everything is awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything is... Oh, very... Timeless from the void. You terrified to learn of Patsy's science facts. (laughs) Very well... This week, we have a very special... Now, Ashes, you like to bake, right? You like to bake? Uh, I I like to bake, yes. Yes. And uh, for those of you who are listening who also like... Just so you know, uh, blood can be used as an egg substitute when baking due to their similar uh, protein uh, composition. A team at Nordic Food Lab studied the science behind blood's coagulating properties and determined that blood is a viable egg substitute in baking due to the very similar protein compositions shared between the two. So, if you're out of eggs and you really need to bake your souffle, the ratio is 65 grams of blood for one egg or 43 grams of blood for one egg white if you're trying to watch your calories and you don't want all that blood. So... Uh, that's your science fact for this week. Um, I don't know what. Hooray! I word good. <laughs> it's been a long, a long day. So we hope you enjoyed this uh, this um, podcast this week. Go check out Derailed if you did and you liked it. Let us know. We're very interested to hear your thoughts. We've got some great stuff coming up. Uh, in the next few weeks, like we've you been did, saying. You did, and you didn't like it, 
don't talk to us because we don't care. No, you can tell us one way or the other. We can have a conversation about it, you know. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of good stuff coming up. This episode has gone on for a very long time, so I think it's time to end it. So on that note, we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday.